0: everyone welcome to another episode of the lasso lowdown we give you the lowdown on all things ted lasso i am your host lee i am here i am joined by my co-host spencer spencer how are you
1: well it's been a four-day journey of me watching the episode recording comments on the episode analyzing the episode what is the single longest episode of ted lasso yet
0: do you think like i i wonder if next week it would be even longer it was this was a minute and nine minutes, or hour and nine minutes i wonder if we'll get even longer next episode
1: I suspect so. I suspect it will actually there will be an intermission. Uh, There there will be (laughs) there there it'll be a multi-day exercise. You know there'll there'll be a lunch that will be catered at some point in the middle. But you know eventually after what is a proper bin her watch, we will get we we will finish off the Ted Lasso series. Okay, for now you
0: heard loud and clear. The episode was long, but what did you think of the quality of the episode? By the way, we're reviewing episode eleven, Mom City. This is the penultimate episode of season three. Spencer, what did you think?
1: I'm mostly just joking about it being long. It was long to recap. It honestly felt kind of reasonably paced in terms of where, where, where it was going to go. Yeah. It didn't feel as long as some of the other episodes had been. This is an episode that for me benefited remarkably on rewatch. rewatch. Uh, my rewatch opinion is fairly positive with some quibbles and some issues and general thinking they could have done better with Nate's plot line, but that's never going to go away. Initial watch, my least favorite scene was the second thing we saw, and it kind of colored my impression from there. So, hmm. end result pretty positive. I, I think some scenes worked out well, and it was an interesting emphasis that I almost wish they'd started doing earlier in the episode, because I found it interesting to go in from like the effect of parents and the mom perspective on some of our you know, the main characters in the show. But still, bel- belated can still be pleasant.
0: We continue to try to unmask the mystery of if, if this is the last season of Ted Lasso, right? It feels like they're driving toward a conclusion, however... Particularly for Ted. They certainly haven't you know, marketed this as the last season in the same way, say Succession is doing right now, right? That's um,
1: all of the Succession marketing because they know to emphasize that point.
0: And if you, look, I don't
1: think the writers know whether it's the last season on this show.
0: And if you look at the the explanation, the written explanation on the Apple Plus app about episode twelve, it says um, the finale of the season. So it doesn't say mm-hmm. finale of the series the same way that, you know, you'd get if it was very clearly the end of the show. So I, I get the impression maybe they don't know. It does feel like they're driving toward the conclusion of Ted's storyline at Richmond, but I'm not sure Ted, the story Ted's has. going home. No, T- yeah. That, that, yeah. So you think that's what he's telling Rebecca in the end when he says, I got one. He's saying I quit.
1: You know, my just hatred of betting because I always just lose money to you. I'd be willing to put money down on this that Ted is saying he's going back home.
0: Yeah. I would agree with that. Okay, so we are going to review episode 11 of season 3 of Apple Plus. It's Ted Lasso. This is called Mom City. We will follow our standard format here on the podcast. We will start with Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a sweet treat to the podcast. We will go with Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience that hot tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. We'll jump into the recap with Spencer and all of his nine pages of notes. Single spaced, I'm Proper sure. Nine. And then mm-hmm. we will jump to... Um, we do... Ted's life lessons, but before we get there, we do uh, train wreck of the episode and the Sports Center Top 10. Now, the Sports Center Top 10 is nine, not 11, not eight, not 12 things, just 10. 10 things that we liked about the episode or thought deserved more discussion, so we will get there with we'll the Sports Center Top 10. So I think that's what we got ahead of us. Spencer, I think we are, I'm ready to announce two things in the podcast. Are you ready for two announcements?
1: I don't know if I am or not. Okay, what is this? So the
0: first announcement. Has nothing to do with Ted Lasso. <laughs> Good start. It has an announcement of what show Spencer and I are going to be reviewing next in the Mango Talks Podcast Network. If you're a fan of the Mango Talks Podcast Network, you know that now has been this spring has been a fairly busy time for Spencer and I. We've been recording at times up to three. Spencer dabbled in almost four podcasts at a time. We had Succession running. We had this podcast running. We were doing the Mandalorian recap, which Spencer jumped in and out of. Spencer's also doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter reread of Harry Potter on the Mangum Breeds podcast. So a lot going on, right? Um, So we'll probably finish up Ted Lasso and Succession, which both wrap up next week. Mm-hmm. We'll probably finish that and maybe take a week, maybe two weeks. But then we are going to come back strong. Real, I mean, I'm talking like... Conor McGregor's first back, first time back in the UFC. We're coming back strong, heavy hitting with some heavyweight stuff. We're going to be reviewing the first season of Severance, the Apple Plus TV show that I have mentioned no less on podcasts, maybe 17 times.
1: This isn't the category of where Lee and I almost make a game out of just ignoring each other's recommendations on shows of where we we'll to recommend a show and then we'll just utterly wipe that under a rug and never return to the subject of it. Lee has hit this one so much, I can't help but be curious about it. This has been Lee's gold standard show of, what, the last two years?
0: Definitely, for sure.
1: I am excited to find out what has tickled his fancy so much and then set up for us to go into Season 2 live when it comes out.
0: So yeah, we're going to do Severance, and Spencer has not seen it. He doesn't know... I know nothing, nothing about it. About it. Told me. So that's going to make it a lot of fun because Spencer will be unpacking the show, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. I will be walking him through it. No spoilers though. So we can watch his genuine reaction episode to episode that will be coming. Don't worry about where to follow that show, right? Don't worry about trying to figure out where to find it, what the podcast is named because when that first episode of our success, our severance coverage hits, we will cross list it on this podcast. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you are subscribed to this podcast, the Lasso Lowdown, you will get the first episode of our severance coverage in this podcast feed. And in that we will tell you exactly where to go, exactly what to do to follow our coverage of severance. I am pumped. And you know what's interesting about that show is that like I, I really went hard on the podcast telling you how great the show was. That and yellow jackets. And I got, I got multiple people commenting on social media or writing into us saying, Hey, can you please stop talking about that show so much? Unless you're going to do it. <laughs> like if You're going to do it. Great. But like, don't tell me how great it is and then not cover it. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're following up you. on that. We're doing it. Okay. Spencer, the second thing I have to announce to the fans today, very big news press release from the offices of Lee at Mangum talks. Nate is back. I have officially forgiven Nate. You flip-flopping bastard. I've forgiven him. Nate is back in the fold. Oh, 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 oh. He's a diamond dog again. Nate, what, what Nate, happened? welcome back, Nate. What?
1: You were with me at the start of the season. You were harder than I was on the subject of they would have to dedicate the entire season to redeeming Nate's character. I don't think they have enough time. Midway through, you thought they've done nothing. They've got no chance of redeeming him this season. I'm out on Nate. I'm, I'm, I'm not liking what the show's doing. Now, at the 11th hour, you have come around to forgiving and embracing Nate as a new member of Richmond starting at ten a.m. tomorrow. What? What did it, man? What was
0: the struggle? Literally the eleventh. That's a that's a good one. The eleventh episode, eleventh hour. I have some answer. clever. You're really me. good. I'll say this: I forgive Nate for many reasons. One is that I think everybody deserves redemption if they actually want it, and it seems like Nate does want it too. That's just a general rule in my life. Two, when Nate decided he was going to work at Taste of Athens I found that to be so completely charming. He hmm. it just shows that the character while he has his faults his girlfriend didn't. He's got faults, right? He's got faults for sure. But he isn't fame seeking, money seeking. He he was doing the job at Richmond and and in part doing the job uh, at, at with Rupert because he liked soccer, right? He, he and he's doing the job at Taste of Athens because he likes his girlfriend and he likes the restaurant. I also just find it utterly charming. That this guy just continues to eat every fucking meal from the same restaurant. If Look, if I find if I have a friend who does that, especially if it's like a mid restaurant, then they mm-hmm. they vault up my friend rankings because I think that's just wonderful behavior to be loyal to a particular restaurant that way. But more than anything, in this episode, what did it is when Nate said. The word sixty, the
1: the, the sixty pages that yes, we'll get to here,
0: absolutely Be-
1: that we will never have read, seen, or have analyzed by anyone on this show. I assure you, he
0: he wrote a sixty-page th- so, apology note, Spencer. No, the writers he- wrote a
1: sixty-page. Nate did not. We'll never get to see what that is.
0: Well, that I mean that, well, I, I, like wow, <laughs> Mike, like the, 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 I just went in on my folded in on myself in the matrix. None of these characters write anything. They're not real, so the writers write everything. I I find um I find that to be com- pretty compelling. That he sat there and he has so much he wants to say. I mean, obviously the the sixty thing was a a bit of a punchline, but I think they yes. were also trying to build in that he has so much to say to them, and he feels so bad that he can fill up that amount of volume. Talking about what happened, his decision making, et cetera. And he has work to do on himself. Things like snapping at people, you know, taking some things to heart so much, like the wonder kid thing. And it's just like Mm. letting that stick in his crawl. I think his self confidence, like he needs to work on and all those other things will start to follow. He's got work to do on himself, but we have never, never in the Ted Lasso universe, Spencer, my dear friend, excluded people from consideration for a being in the, in the in group, being back. Or two, being in the Diamond Dogs, because they aren't perfect. We know these characters aren't perfect. They're all working on themselves. Nate's working on himself. But he genuinely wants for redemption. He genuinely wants to apologize. And that is good enough for me. Welcome back, Nate! Shelling to the Diamond Dogs.
1: Uh, I'm going to ask you something. In what ways is Higgins not perfect to you?
0: Not a fair question. This would be like, this would be like me asking you if uh, if Rebecca is is uh, is perfect. I will acknowledge Rebecca's flaws. The entire first season
1: is going through her flaws. It was
0: but what, what made her compelling? Okay, well then then Higgins is different because he is not flawed. He is perfect. Built different. He is perfect. Higgins built different. He is perfect. I don't know. I I love a good redemption story. I like when a a person works on themselves, sees the light, ask others for help, ask others for forgiveness the be- the scene with beard will get there holy shit that made me want to want to tear up but that's what I have I'm to sure announce to everybody. Nate is back. welcome back, Nate. okay let's jump into uh, biscuits with the boss Spencer what' you bring to the podcast?
1: Uh, second only to my love of cookies you are familiar with my love of cheesecake? Uh, and on that subject, I was wandering through Costco as I do grazing, you know, on all the free things that they offer on various days. And I saw that they had a lemon meringue cheesecake. Ooh. It, it looks gorgeous. It looks great. It's going to sugar just destroy me for the, this, you know, uh, weekend morning that we're right now recording, but I am excited to try it and see if it's any good.
0: Lemon Where, meringue a qu- question cheesecake. for you. Yeah.
1: Where do you stand? Do you like flavored cheesecakes, or are you just a straight cheesecake kind of guy, or is cheesecake itself not even something in your repertoire?
0: Love cheesecake, big cheesecake fan, and I like the I like the flavored cheesecakes. Now, the, you know, people can get a little crazy with it when they they're starting to put like the jams and the jellies and the chocolate spears into this into that. Mm-hmm. But generally, if you flavor a cheesecake, I'm down. Um, big fan in the fall of the pumpkin cheesecake. I like that. Um, you know, in the spring when they're doing little strawberries. When it's strawberry season on your cheesecake, I'm a fan of that too. But a straight, straight slice of cheesecake also could do it for me. So basically all the above. The answer is yes.
1: I would recommend the lemon meringue from Costco. That is absolutely delicious. It's good? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Alright, well, make sure you- Quite good. I want you to, I want you to eat the whole thing because I want to see Spencer Uh, jacked up on some sugar here.
1: uh, Per tradition, I'm going to finish this entire thing before you actually finish Tea Time with Lee.
0: Alright, Tea Time with Lee this week. I always like to pick a tea that I feel like we can connect loosely to the plot, right? Um, so this week I have chosen tea from my backyard. For followers mm. the followers of the podcast know that I live in Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina. The Asheville Tea Company, uh, which is a tea company that is based here in lovely Asheville, has a version of uh has a has a tea Flavor called Elderberry Yopin. So it's Yopin, Elderberry, Rose Hips, Blackberry Leaf, Hibiscus, and Rose Petals. Let's so mm. take a sip of that real quick. Sounds good. And it's absolutely delicious. And I'll tell you what I did. I flavored it with a little Asheville Beech Armor Tupelo Honey. So I got some honey from a local honey... Um, producer a lot of some local beekeepers called Asheville beach armor and i put it in now two below honey little known fact about two below you know where two below is
1: no i don't actually
0: uh, right near one below actually right near one below yeah nice richard prior joke
1: you, you you have hurt the crap out of me sir that's
0: an old richard Pryor joke two below one below shut up my <laughs> bone okay so i picked this because i think ted's going home I think Ted's going home. Yeah. I think that's the I think that's where we're going. I think that's what was building in the last five to seven minutes of the well, first off the entire season, but the last five to seven minutes was really dedicated to him having that conversation with his mother about mm-hmm. his son and finally admitting one of the hang ups he's got with going home. It's not just Michelle. It's just not just the Michelle thing. It's that he's scared to get close to his son because he knows his son's gonna leave. Now why would Ted why would Ted have that concern? his dad because his dad his dad left him right now so i picked this i picked a tea close to home i also picked this one because elderberry yappan this is flavored with elderberry and yappan yappan is a type of holly that is indigenous to north america and it is the only plant indigenous to north america that is caffeinated mm. so ted coming back home coming back to north america he can get some Yapin flavored tea which is the only caffeinated plant in North America. Now I previously told you when talking about tea on this podcast that if a tea, most of the time when you're making tea selections, if something is called tea and it doesn't have the tea plant in it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so an example would be rooibos tea, which is native to Africa, the rooibos plants are native to Africa. It doesn't have the tea plant in it. It's not going to be caffeinated, right? Because the only time it's ever caffeinated is if you have the tea plant in it. This is an exception to that because Yopin Holly actually is caffeinated. So this tea doesn't have the traditional tea plant in it. It's got elderberry, Yopin, a few other things for flavor, but it's still caffeinated. So welcome home, Ted. This is a hometown tea right here for the Tea Time with Lee segment.
1: Man, South America is really kicking our ass when it comes to caffeinated products, isn't it? (laughs) Elaborate. Coffee.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> for sure. We covered that on the coffee. covered that on the Last of Us podcast where they were drinking coffee, and I was like, "Ah, bullshit! They don't grow that in North America. There's no way during a zombie apocalypse without without international trade you could be drinking coffee. That's bullshit." Found
1: a way, priority sir.
0: All right, so welcome home, Ted. Can't wait to have you back. Uh It'd be interesting to see where the show goes, but that's the tea time police segment. Okay, Spencer, are you ready to recap I- season three, episode eleven?
1: I have inhaled an overlarge piece of cheesecake. I'm sure it's gonna hurt me here in a few minutes, but I'm ready to go Since for the he's all
0: Jacked up on sugar, he's gonna come at you like a spider monkey. Fire away.
1: Uh, the episode opens with Ted walking to work, greeted by and greeting all the locals that he's come to know well during his time with Richmond, particularly the Wanker fan, who I'm always happy to see him. Always a delight. Always delight you old man to come in with your commentary. It's, it seems like a very pleasant morning, he's getting jazzed for his day, until to his shock he passes a bench, sees someone that he recognizes. He turns around and greets his mother, who has been seemingly just waiting on a bench for him to pass by.
0: Quick, quick open, go.
1: Quick open, going into the theme for this episode. Yeah, might be all
0: that you give. Yeah, guess Did this you, might but, well hmm. be
1: it. You're not allowed to pause. You're not allowed to I got only one more episode left. I'm gonna time it right eventually. If you've done with that damn thing, it's "A Taste Nathan. of Athens." Nate is serving as a waiter, beginning a run of quickly realizing simple things to improve the business model at Taste of Athens. Uh, though him claiming credit later for inventing the idea about, you know, let's give people nuts so they buy more drinks is very much egotistical <laughs> need at work.
0: What? Egotistical? He just didn't know. It. He just hadn't heard of it before. That just means he's egotistical. <laughs> Everyone has heard that. People, are, people, people you know, read children's
1: stories on the subject of that particular marketing scheme. Uh,
0: probably at uh, age six months, like Spencer.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Right before they're using whiskey to knock them out so they sleep earlier. The 80s were a fascinating time. Yeah, and they read uh, War
0: and Peace in their cradle.
1: I was reading it myself, but sometimes my parents joined in to hear me narrate.
0: I'm
1: glad. Uh he started with the simple idea of cleaning the floors, because apparently they've not been doing that before. Uh, <laughs> at that moment, Isaac, Will, and Colin Woo! walk into a restaurant, and this is not a joke. Both my girlfriend and I thought this was a dream sequence for what plays out from here, but here we go. No, oh, they came to see him. They did. Uh Jade tries to send them away, but Colin's resolute. They are here to see Nate they're baffled by his current state and unpersuaded that he actually likes working there with his girlfriend not helped by the fact that for like 3 times in this episode this is the first that when Nate turns to introduce his girlfriend Jade has just left the scene
0: that's a funny thing right because like you know yeah with Nate's personality he'll get he'll get like super like in his own head like no trust me i really do have a girlfriend I'm, I doubt, didn't the, her. I doubt she's the, totally not from Canada I, she's from Poland I doubt the guys uh, were questioning that I, you know
1: yes I thought, I thought, the, thought the, the, guests at the restaurant were questioning it at various points as we go throughout all of this. Uh, she disappears, Nate struggles to prove her existence, but the three Richmondites are here to explain to Nate that they want him to come back to Richmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having all, except apparently the fiercely anti-democratic bumper catch, voted off screen that they want him back on the team.
0: Cause this shit here, sad as fuck. Uh,
1: yeah, Nate, shocked and confused as I am. Because the last point of reference we had about any of the opinion of the team, of Nate, was them almost setting red card records on the subject of watching him tear up the believe sign. Last thing we've gotten at all in terms of what everybody else on the team thinks about Nate. Apparently, off camera, probably driven by Will's, you know, getting that little thank you card, they've all confirmed that they're okay with Nate, they've got no issues with him, and not only are they fine with telling him that, they want him to come back to the team for the last two games of the season.
0: Okay, so as as usual, when you have a point, you hit the point and then might overstate it just a touch. Oh, just just yep. a touch. Nope, not at all. Just Gospel touch. word. Because I'm not sure they're saying they have no problem with him at all. I think what they're not saying at all. they love him. <laughs> ne- never had to apologize, come, no issues
1: come, whatsoever. Entirety of season two and first part of season three did not happen.
0: I'm just saying. And they might they might still have some issues with him, but a couple of things going on. One is, yeah, I'm sure Will told them about the note. Two is, when you lose your job, that doesn't sympathy with people. People f- will tend to feel bad for you if you lose your job, so that's probably some sympathy going on there too. They did like Nate at one point, so they have some positive memories to hearken back to. And four, he's a master tactician in this universe, like. It's established. Nate is extreme, extremely good tactician, and in and, and this universe, and that is the one thing they might be missing. Yes, in a barbecue induced haze, Nate, Ted Lasso did cook up a way to Total play football. a way to play soccer that had been invented for forty years. They had that going for him. But sure. Roy has talked about many times on this on this show that he is not the tactician that Nate is. So it might also be somewhat self interested.
1: Understood. Counterpoint. None of them have any knowledge whatsoever of Nate's uh, character growth at all this season. None. None. They've not interacted with him. They've not seen him. The only connection they have with Nate's current state of being... Is ripping up the believe sign and then you know mad mugging him mightily when, when they were when they were playing against West Ham earlier in the season.
0: Completely agree, but I didn't.
1: I didn't they use, think he's an asshole
0: still. But I didn't use their character growth in any of the exam- Any of the reasons I just gave.
1: I know I'm. Re- I'm responding with completely unrelated points. I agree with you on those points. I still find it unrealistic that everyone's just treating as if they've been watching Nate's character growth off screen to their own little private camera. When the only prior data point they have of him is, oh yeah, Nate. He was an asshole. He tortured Will. He was a dick to a lot of us. He, you know, a lot of shit that they're not. They're all seemingly have you know made decided to make bygones be bygones with. And if that's their conscious call, sure, I would have loved to have seen that conversation. But the show's having a lot of things happen off camera right now.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I maybe we're different, but I'm one of those people that like. I don't. I don't mind giving people second chances. Like yeah, I don't. I get, I, I no I, problem. I'm going to draw a distinction. No problem with that. And and I, I don't. I I think that they're they're in part giving him a second chance. I think they see somebody who is on their back foot now. their work. He's working at a restaurant. They find that sad as fuck as established. He's lost his job, and they know that he has reached out to Richmond. Presumably, I mean, I I get the complaint that that happened off camera, but will let's let's say will shared in the note. And then it's then it's also somewhat self-interested. They they want a good technician on their team. So, I don't know, it makes sense to me.
1: In my mind, I I don't think the show sees a distinction here. There's a there's a distinction in my mind between forgiving somebody and giving them a second chance and at the same time wanting to work with them again. I don't think those have to be synonymous. I don't think you should be in any way kind of pressured that okay, it didn't work out well last time, but I forgive you and I wish you well and I want to you know keep in touch with you. But I don't necessarily want to repeat the exact same pattern again either.
0: Yeah, I don't, know. They, I don't think those do.
1: have to go hand in hand.
0: I don't think they do either, and that's why I don't think you hear the word forgive in this. Um, but they—they they are. They... Uh, te- you, hear, you hear from Ted a lot, sure, yeah. But you know, Ted's a different kind of cat. I don't know. This this worked for me. I can tell it didn't work for you.
1: I didn't like this because it just came so out of left field. There was no setup for it. All of that setup happened off camera or by character building. None of these characters would have gotten to scene. This put a bad taste in my mouth that I had to expunge on rewatch just because this felt kind of like a, this felt a bit forced. But, Nate is receptive to it. Nate, Nate is outright, you know, smiling on the subject of this, which is interesting too because, I suppose we kind of saw it a little bit in season two, but Nate previously had a mighty grudge against both Isaac and Colin. Weren't those his two main, main bullies under Jamie too?
0: Um. Uh, yeah. Yeah. definitely Isaac. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I
1: think. I think Colin too. But I'll have to go back and rewatch season one. But maybe. We'll, maybe we'll do that together. Um. But he's excited about this until he confirms that. Oh, so Ted wanted me back too. Ted voted. They clarify that no, we wanted to check with you to see whether you'd be receptive to the idea before we told Ted because that felt presumptuous as all hell. Otherwise. Nate's face collapses immediately because Ted is just the elephant in the room when it comes to him coming back to Richmond in his mind. He expresses that, you know, he's not he's not interested that, you know, this is not something he's going to be comfortable with, that, you know, it's a bad idea for him to go back to Richmond. He folds like a lawn chair immediately when he knows that T- Ted isn't on script at this point.
0: Yeah, I like the writing here because like you, you know, you you said you even said this as a watcher of the show a couple episodes ago. Oh well I'm sure Ted is gonna say there's no reason to forgive you. Like I you're you're already forgiven, back in the fold, like super easy, you know, like because <clears throat> that's been set up with the Ted character, right? That's consistent sure. with how Ted acts. We all can kind of see that happening. And so we know, or at least we strongly suspect as a fan base. Ted's gonna forgive Nate. That's not really. That's not I don't really. Think
1: Ted feels the need. That's
0: not that. That's not that big a hurdle, right? But we can see that Nate has built it up in his head as a really big thing. And I like. I like that we have a little bit of insight, maybe, into the situation that Nate may not have.
1: I, I would like. I don't think we're gonna get it, but I would like if Ted would at least do that kind of conversation he had with Michelle a few episodes back, and with his mom this episode of where he's obviously forgiven both of them. But he still tells them why he was hurt by their behavior or why their behavior was wrong. It would be lovely if someone would at least have that conversation with Nate at some point. Please. Yeah, but, but I don't think we're gonna get it.
0: No, well, who knows. I mean, I think, I think the fact that Nate thought that Beard was there to kill him, Nate's, Nate's acutely aware that he made them angry. Um so I don't know. I, you know, I, I also think that there's, what the writers are showing us is that Ted wasn't all that hurt by I mean he was he, he was he was hurt by Nate right but not not deeply and he I think it feels like you've always had some level of empathy for what Nate was doing. You never saw him flash anger or get upset about it. He was always talking people down and they're just they're just like right. a hatred of Nate so maybe maybe at the end of the story maybe Nate just or Ted just wasn't that upset to begin with.
1: Which I would find in some ways a shame, because Nate, again, they've never returned to Nate leaking Ted's medical information. The show would prefer we forget that that was a thing, because that was really messed up. Ted was visibly hurt by that, and hurt that, you know, Trent was the one telling him that information in the moment. But the show has never mentioned that again, I think pointedly, because I don't think it fits with Ted not being hurt. Because he was very obviously hurt right then when that happened. Um, It's one of the things, though, where one of the lessons that Ted's been learning all season, that they call out this episode, is that... You can forgive people, you can help people around you, but you can still acknowledge internally and to them when someone hurts you. I would like if that is incorporated into the Nate plotline, given how seminal that's been the last two seasons. Like you said, maybe the writers are trying to say that he wasn't actually hurt, that that was just a brief, you know, reaction from Ted, that he was just surprised by that news in season two. We'll find out. We got an episode left. Maybe Nate will read the entire 60 pages and I'll be satisfied.
0: You but, you wouldn't be you'd read it and it'd say somehow inconsistent and then it made the episode uh, too long. I'll say this that uh I, I think that when someone hurts me, but I can very easily see that they're going through something themselves. It's a heck of a lot easier for me to not let that land really hard, and it's a heck of a lot easier for me to forgive them or even have not or not even a reason to ask them for their forgiveness. Right, like to just sort of like be like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like we're simpatico. If they have something very obviously wrong with them. So, like, for instance, let's say somebody's, like, really sick. Like, they have, like, a, an illness, right? And they start lashing out because they're having to internalize that illness. Um, I don't know. It's easier for me to just be like, okay, well, this person's going through something, right? And and perhaps that's where, T- Net, uh, where Ted's head was in this, right? Is that he could tell a lot of this was stemming from Nate's own insecurity. And, you know, there's so many things that Nate does where you're like, man, that guy... He's not happy. It's clear that he's not a happy person. And so for me, it would be a lot easier to forgive a person who's dealing with things like that rather than somebody who appears to just be like like a Rupert who just thinks the world is gravy. He's happy all the time and fuck you and I don't need to have any character growth and I'm all good. That got to be a lot harder for me to forgive than somebody who's clearly going through something themselves.
1: Michelle was going through something. His mom was go obviously going through something. But Ted still fills the need, and I think he does, he has an absolute right to to tell to talk about how he felt about that. There's, there's no, there shouldn't be any problem with him doing the same thing with Nate. Okay. We we disagree on this point. This is building one throughout the season. Well, time. it's also just like
0: it's also just like I, I think we're I'm glad we're getting toward the end because like you've become so critical of the show, like in a way that you really weren't before. And I just don't think the show is meant mm-hmm. for the level of scrutiny that we would apply to a show like Succession. And that's that's what I was talking about with like the show not knowing what it is. I don't, I don't really blame you for giving it that level of scrutiny because it's become like an hour long thing with all these different plot lines and drama. But I just don't think the writers are writing it to be that consistent. I mean, because there's so many still absurdist jokes that are thrown in. Sure. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the lens. I think I'm still applying a previous lens to it. And I think you started to, and justifiably, apply a different sort of lens to how you look at the show. And I just don't think the show knows what it is. So I, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm glad the show's almost over
1: uh in place of having a resolution at this point at this point nate offers to instead place an order of 75 kebabs which wise call 25 chicken pork and lamb is the way to go when ordering 75 kebabs
0: you get that lamb well, Jay, you gotta do the gotta do the mint jelly with the lamb kebabs got to
1: there is absolutely no choice in that regard that just completes the experience Ooh, There's a big uh jade meanwhile is silently listening on visibly concerned meanwhile Ted's mom walks into his apartment and does that kind of thing that moms always do when they walk into your place for the first time and comments how <laughs> sparse things are. Uh, notes the oddities with respect to the British appliances and no one really understanding how those symbols work. Beard is luckily there for Ted in that regard. Three
0: squiggly lines that you burned a bro- frozen pizza. Uh,
1: Ted looks at her with that kind of odd air of constant and growing exacerbation. Would that, would that be kind of like your... Would that, that that'd be how you'd summarize Ted's kind of reaction to his mom throughout the entire episode? He's embarrassed... He's—I don't know if he's embarrassed or he's just frustrated. He, it's some element building of the two of where he's not comfortable with his mom being there and interacting with him and the world around.
0: This is why. So, th- so this is an example, right? Of like where, like, you're, you're the way you punch the show. I feel like you're going to punch no matter what because if we didn't have the scene where Ted does the thank you, fuck you, thing, trademark Jim Cornette. More on that Sports Center top ten then we would never have gotten an explanation for why he was so prickly to his mother. And so Actually, we needed some exploit. Wait, give me a second. We okay, okay. need some explanation for like, cause it, like Ted's such a nice guy that sure. the fact that he's like so prickly and weird with his mom was rubbing me the wrong way. Most of the episode because she seemed nice and she's there to visit and he's just fucking kind of a prick to her. And I was wondering what was going on. And the fact that we got some reveal as to this backstory about his resentment toward his mother, I felt like was necessary to explain that story. Now, when they do that, you, you call bullshit and say it's inconsistent with his, him, him talking out his resentments to his mother and not willing to talk out his resentments to Nate. So, I feel like, what, what, I don't know, throw 16 balls in the I, I, air, you gotta catch two of them.
1: I like I like what they did with respect to Ted and his mom. I like that in many ways that she's his Ted Lasso, and that's grating on him because he has unresolved issues with respect to it. That it feels false to him. He, more than anyone, can see just the facade that's attached to it, and it grates on him for that reason. As well as just his own complete not ever having the conversation from decades in the past on the subject of, you know, their shared trauma and his unpacking of it. This worked for me quite a bit. I liked it. I also I liked also just the building tension of where everyone loves his mom. She's perfectly pleasant. But it's clearly a different lens for him. This worked for me quite a bit.
0: And shows how much he's grown, right? Because I feel like this, like, we're just going to tell jokes and, like, push everything under the rug. Mm -hmm. Ted would have been all about in season one. But season three, Ted's not willing to do that
1: but it's still something that, he, that there's a tension with his character cuz beard and his mom call it out later that it's still Ted's nature to do that it is still his default it is perhaps a little bit conditioned in through his mom's way of dealing with things and maybe that informs a little bit of his resentment you know now that he's understanding and unpacking that that that's kind of coded into him because that's the way that she handled this kind of these kind of issues um but they have that conversation they do that fun little dance that everyone does on the subject of You know, uh, I want you to stay here. Oh, no, I wouldn't want to be a bother. No, I insist you stay here. No, no, I really couldn't. No, I literally will chain you to the bed if you leave. Oh, okay, fine, if you have to wring my arm. That kind of fun particularly happens in the South a lot conversation on doing someone a favor. Uh, She just explains that she's only here just because she always wanted to see England, so she booked herself a Mother's Day gift, and she's just spent the last week not informing her son that she's in town while hanging out in a hostel with some very randy Australians. So much sex. Not her. Not her. There's so much sex, though. Uh They work out. She's going to stay with him. And to start, she's going to leave her bags here, and she's going to follow him to work. And continuing a trend. We've talked about this. And this is, again, setting up Ted leaving the show probably next episode. Ted's doing less of the coachy kind of things for the team. Roy has stepped in to do the interviews after the games, and he's got Sam and Jamie there with him to handle the presser, as it were.
0: Yeah. He's getting more disconnected for sure.
1: Uh they are now on a 15-game winning streak. Oh, Remember, shoot. the record, folks, is 18, so you know, they they can't beat the record this season. I feel like that's just a, you know, a respectful nod to actual Man City for maintaining that, but they're getting damn close at this point. Uh they are only five points off Man City for the Premier League title. If they win the next game. It's anyone's, but anyone's chance for who's gonna who's gonna have the title at the end of the season. Everyone's excited, as equally excited as they are baffled about this, except Jamie. Jamie, who is barely even engaged with this conversation, is fielded the most softball of softball questions by Better Trent on the subject of how he feels about being Premier League Player of the Month. There's almost no way you can answer this question wrong, other than what Jamie does of where he does takes pains to dial up the hyper-humble, dodging any resemblance of credit to the point of demanding that the one goal that he scored be retracted, and he apologizes to the children. The room is confused. I'm confused. Roy and Sam are just not even sure how to process this, to the point that Roy makes the quick and very justified decision to end the interview here and get Jamie out of the room. Did you have a theory at this point as to what the hell was going on with Jamie, other than that this is night and day different than Jamie the prick from back in season one?
0: No idea. I mean, I was reaching, I was thinking maybe it had something to do with Keeley and Roy being together, but I, I didn't know.
1: I, yeah, I, I wasn't able to put things together other than that it was it was fun for them to emphasize that Jamie has, you know, he's had one of the best character arcs of the show. He's come an incredibly long way. Still, the way that you tell he's off is that he's not any resemblance of a cocky prick. He needs to be at least a little bit of a cocky prick, even if he's supporting other people around him. If he's not even in the same hemisphere as that, there's something wrong. In Rebecca's office, though, Ted introduces uh, her to his new bodyguard, or, uh, sorry, mom. Please keep your and, hands where I can see them.
0: <laughs> God, I'm just put, keep them.
1: Both Rebecca and us are immediately aware of where Ted gets it from. The, the, well done casting and acting for his mom. This is Ted's mom. Oh my God, there's nothing to us, nothing to debate about my that.
0: God, you're Ted's mother. Winner, winner, B.F. Skinner.
1: Uh, Rebecca is excited to meet Dottie, as we find out her name here, uh, and credits her for Ted's aura of sunshine. But she defers, claiming that this one popped out and immediately asked the doctor if he needed, if he needed anything. Ted, as said, is visibly rubbed bra by his mom just acting like Ted. Uh, and Ted quips well, that doesn't make any sense. Babies can't talk, nor do they understand empathy and you know, and dials on. every scene we get of Ted and his mom,
0: there's clearly
1: something wrong. She clearly hated him, yeah. Clearly they do not have the relationship that Ted otherwise has with everyone else, despite the fact that she's just older Ted. Uh, Rebecca offers to show Dottie around, Richmond, uh, not the Sherlock Holmes Museum, which I think both I and Dotty are disappointed about, uh, including particularly Danny Rojas. And despite a certain degree of confusion over Surrey versus Sorry, they head off. Next, uh, we see, and this is a pretty much a hard cut to a probably about 30 minutes later, Dotty is sitting before a forum of the utterly enraptured players, telling the team stories about Ted as a kid. And as is often the case with these stories that either parents or particularly me tell about events that happened back in the past, uh, they are various shades of inaccurate at best. Uh, th- there is a kernel of truth attached to all these stories, but as Ted constantly corrects, she's adding a certain degree of color that doesn't quite meet meet the real events. Uh first one we get to over here is saying is Ted getting arrested by the police, which, depending on what you're, who you're willing to believe, he was either joyriding at 12 on the wrong side of the road, or he was 15 and riding with a friend who got them pulled over because he was throwing up gang sides in the rearview rear mirror at a cop. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're supposed to lead to believe that Ted's versions are accurate with respect to all these stories.
0: Look, sometimes the truth can ruin a perfectly good story. Hey, you should work for the Daily Mail. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, I enjoy that Rebecca is perfectly okay with just a yarn. Hey, Rebecca, me too. Ted, again, all of this is, all, all of this is grading on him. Uh, he's quickly Oklahoma on the subject by Rebecca, who acknowledges, and he acknowledges that it's just kind of weird for his mom to be here. That just like, having shown up out of nowhere, like one of those weird eyebrow hairs that he started getting the day after he turned 40. He just doesn't know what to make of it. Despite being Oklahoma, I think maybe Ted himself doesn't exactly realize what's wrong here. But this feels like it's only about half the story at present. We get the rest later. Agreed. Uh, she uh, Rebecca, you know, gives him that advice. Basically, tells him that you know, similar to kind of her relationship with his with her mom, Ted. If you can give your mom one lovely moment, you know, a memory to take back home, then you've won. Ted seems to accept that, and Rebecca goes off to see a man about a horse. Literally, in her case, the life of the life of the rich is very fun. Ted interrupts the team before we get to a dotty rendition of the story about the poop and the candy wrapper, which that one's been building since season one. I would have heard, loved to have seen her version of the events. Uh, and the team. A, a jackass
0: walk into a bar.
1: Again, I like. Uh, oh God, what, what was what, what was the name of that, that character in the eerie uh, <laughs>
0: little. Um... Uh, the Aaron, little, little
1: Lord, little Lord Aaron. I would have, yeah. I would have, loved, I would. Have, uh, Robin Aaron. Robin I would love to have seen. I would have loved, like, like him. I would have loved to have seen the rest of the story from Donnie's point of view. Finish the story. Uh, but uh, the team heads out to the to pitch, and Trent, journalist that he is, moves in for a very exclusive interview with Donnie. Just, of course, he would. The team mock Van Dam on the subject of his nose guard, uh, which, in his words, he needs to live. Uh, but except Jamie, whose temperament has swung so far from season one that he is basically unrecognizable to even his own teammates. Roy, recognizing the problem, calls Jamie out and they head to their boot slash what is increasingly therapy room to go through the preferred language, uh, to go through Roy's preferred love, uh, language of shouting.
0: All right, listen up. This is not your week for Mr. Fucking Humble. Great teammate bullshit. We got City on Saturday, so we need you to be the prickiest prick you've ever been in your little prick life. You understand? So I don't want you. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's Roy just like, it's like he gets punched in the stomach. He's, oh, what? What is going on here? Yeah, it, it, to, to Roy's utter surprise, <laughs> Jamie
1: starts crying like a Water Brothers cartoon character. <laughs> just like, Roy is, like me, legitimately concerned that Jamie may be dying. Like he got a cancer diagnosis yesterday.
0: I just don't think Roy, like I, I just don't think, no matter who, I mean, particularly Jamie, because Jamie has been such an eager. Egotistical person to Roy in the past. He's not now, but he has been previously, but I just don't think Roy's the right guy to go to if you're crying. I really don't. There's a lot of people in that building that you can go to if you're, if you're balling your eyes out. I'd say Ted, Rebecca, Beard, Higgy Bottoms, Trent. Roy's low on that list.
1: Roy's come a long way. It would be a definite gear shift for him, but I think he does fairly well. Doesn't say anything. But he straight up gives Jamie a hug, which nearly got him punched because, you know, PTSD
0: and the war just a few episodes back. I feel like the guy in the but Red Bull commercial who who's pushing the big rock up the hill, but he's lost his wings. I lost me wings. I lost me wings. It's, it, it's an interesting conversation because
1: Roy's emphasizing was something that he did back in the season two of where they kind of actually need Jamie to be a prick. It's a key actual part of, you know, them succeeding is that he plays... He's the their point guard. And he's, yeah. Yeah. It, him being a prick... He can still support the rest of the team, but he needs to be at least a certain element of a prick with the other team yep. to for, for them to play at the top of their game. Yeah, besides that, back in season two, they can't go too far in him being a team player. But Jamie's a poor little broken boy right here, right now. As you said, he's, just, he's lost his wings. He doesn't know what to do. He's clearly struggling. He's literally wailing. Roy not knowing what to do other than just hold the guy, does so, and then laments to Will that he missed one hell of a good bit of grief, of grief you know, explosion right here, which Will clearly regrets. Uh, in the coach's room, Beard jokes, oh my god, coach, our new striker looks just like your mom. And in demonstration of just how off Ted is, which I feel like I've been saying that more about Ted than the alternative this season, he doesn't even process that as a joke. Uh... Higgins charges into the room while that little bit of awkwardness is happening and asks if Ted has a second. Yeah, the line?
0: I don't have it right this second. Uh,
1: what? What is time, Higgs boson? What's up? Oh, yeah. I was amused by that.
0: That's what you were looking for. Yeah, uh, <laughs> more on the Higgs boson and SportsCenter Oh, yeah.
1: Uh Igans reveals that apparently Colin, Will, and Isaac were his little birds. Proper Veris, little of work he here. actually
0: says little birds, isn't that he this, does? This morning, a few of my little birds went to visit Nathan in his new job. Little birds, what?
1: They are playing up that whole spy master thing. Uh, for those that don't know, that was a particularly in the books that was a big thing. Veris would say about his little spies, he'd call them his little birds roaming around. Yeah, but
0: town. strangely, it was uh, I believe in the books, wasn't it? Like small children who had their tongue cut out.
1: Yes fucked up okay. all kinds of shit so Trent, the, the books are a darker so place
0: it's not really doing that
1: <laughs> i don't know if Higgins is doing that with other people but at least these three still have their means of communication oh man uh he notes that you know they went to see nathan who's waiting tables in tooting ted and i just acknowledged that tooting is a wonderful name for a neighborhood in the town uh and they discussed the subject of bringing nate back we get like five people's opinions in short order on that subject. Can you summarize for me where each person's stance is on this?
0: I mean, um, H- Higgins, what's his stance? Well, I do believe in second chances, Ted. That's why I'm still married and all my sons are alive. Uh, Roy. No, I don't give a fuck. He's great at shit I suck at. Look, I got to go. <laughs> uh, so, t- you know, and it, that, I, that's the part that I was talking about is that like, I think that sometimes we're, we're getting this. All through the lens of should those guys forgive him based on his actions and their feelings toward him. But it's like, as you pointed out, forgiveness and second chances are different and they might be wanting to, some people there might be really, they might be like on the fence about the, do I forgive him personally or not? Am I going to hang out with Nate? But like the, do we want him on our team again? Yeah, probably. I mean, he's a big asset. Well, it's an interesting kind of thing because Ted
1: is really kind of deferring in this conversation. He doesn't actually voice what his own opinions are. He's letting the, letting the room offer their kind of view on the subject. And Roy's mostly indifferent, you know, it's from a purely, you know, pragmatic standpoint at work. Not
0: indifferent. He wants him back because he wants that brain. He wants oh, him to be here to, to do that.
1: Oh, sorry, I misspoke. Personally indifferent, pragmatically in favor. Fair enough. I don't think he gives a shit about Nate personally. Um, I think he was actually mostly... Maybe the last feeling we know he had about Nate was, you know, pissed off that Nate kissed Keely. That's the last data point we have on that subject.
0: I think we've also seen that Roy is a pretty forgiving person. He is. Like, I there's all There's a, there's a well, number of examples of that. I mean, <laughs> besides yeah, Trent. He struggled with Trent, right? Because, I mean, that's something that hit him when he was a kid and... You know, it was a really deep wound, but like we've seen him be pretty open to forgiving people. Now, Beard, on the other hand, if you bring that Judas back, I will burn this place to the fucking ground.
1: Did this surprise you?
0: Not at Did this all. Get, uh,
1: explain. I'm curious. What? what I, I, I was. I was a little bit caught off guard by the <sighs> vehemence.
0: They've wrote. They've. They've. They've set it up. I mean, it's. It's. It's been in the vein of a punchline previously but we've they've set up that like roy or uh, ted or beard really hates the, nate. the I axes mean it, the other day yeah that the the axe thing that also when they went to the stadium to watch a game um they he, uh, no, no. he wouldn't wear the kit he wouldn't even wear neutral colors he had to wear his clothes and then he was like giving the death stare to nate the whole time so they've set it up in a few different scenes that he's really stuck in his crawl about what nate did
1: it was also Beard's decision, probably even more than Roy, to show the team the tape of, uh, Nate ripping up the sign. So ben
0: Which Ted did himself. not want to do. So yeah, I think, I think this has been properly set up that he's frustrated about it. Now the, the idea that we get the reveal of why Ted and Beard became, you know, coworkers, buddies, it's, best it's friends. Delightful. I could not, man, I was so, I was so pumped when we got that reveal. Cause I mean, uh, we've been, I've been waiting for that since he popped his head over the, the, um, the chair on the flight on the flight British in the first like 15 seconds of the show to make the yeah. joke about hanging out in each other's dreams. I was like, what, what is the, what is going on with these two? Where's their relationship? when we get the reveal in the penultimate episode.
1: No, that's well sold. I, I like that quite a bit. It was very well delivered by the actor with respect to that moment. I'm completely blanking on the name of the actor that plays beard. I got I'll it for you.
0: I'll look it up.
1: Okay. Appreciate it. But yeah, that plot line works out great for me. We'll get there in a minute. Everyone is caught off guard, at least in the room, by Beard's vehemence. Like you noted, I think there's been some
0: Brendan setup. Brandon Hunt is his name. Uh,
1: I think uh, there's been a fair amount of setup as to that Beard has been nursing a grudge on this subject for a while now. Uh, and he's just also just passionate enough about winning that he in particular would be offended by someone, you know, screwing them over it like, 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 um, Nate did. But the room did not expect it, at least not particularly in this way.
0: I, I actually uh, really liked, um, Higgy Bottoms answer too, because like, you know, like I think being in a successful marriage does require you to like not hold grudges and be able to like forgive. I'm not saying those things are exactly the same, but he's saying, Hey man, I've got that muscle. Like I've got them. I'm capable of being wronged, or at least in my mind, feeling like I've been wronged, but still forgiving the person so that we can move on and work together. I think he's flexing that muscle a little bit and referencing the fact that he's married with kids who still love him. I think that's a great call.
1: Whimsy, whimsy, and Higgins—they go hand in hand. Higgins, Higgins, can
0: do no wrong, as we established earlier in this podcast. Uh, he's the he, he, the exception that proves the rule. Oh, on, the old,
1: on the other hand, you can be like Roy's parents and just not talk for fifty years. Works out great. <laughs> either
0: way, either way, he's still married.
1: Uh, Trent interrupts to confirm whether the uh, latest Dotty story is accurate about Ted getting on stage and dancing with Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Ted confirms that um, there is an element of truth there. Instead, it was. He sang Glory Days with a Bruce Springsteen cover band at his friend Scott Cinnamon's bar mitzvah. Immediately the mom goes, oh right, yes, it was a bar mitzvah, as if no aspect of what she said was inaccurate other than that. And we continue on with it, with with, with Trent taking, I'm sure, some lovely notes for his book.
0: Talking about Glory Days.
1: Bruce Springsteen is one, very much the example of, he's a big deal and has been a big deal for a very long time, the boss. I could, I would struggle to almost name you more than one or two Bruce Springsteen songs, but I've probably heard dozens.
0: Or in the USA, of course. Yeah, Glory
1: it, it, he's, an, it, he's an actor that's more part of the culture than the, than my personal knowledge.
0: Yeah, you know, I uh, I've always appreciated him and his music, <clears throat> in the zeitgeist more than in my personal catalog. Yeah, uh, I, don't have it, I don't have any of his records. No, no Bruce Springsteen records in my collection.
1: Maybe. It, He's got some very memorable stones and profoundly influential. Not in my top ten. Uh And Keeley's still somewhat vacant office because this is an important distinction. Barbara came back. All of the other employees have not. It is just Keeley and Barbara at this point.
0: Sure, because Barbara had to, like, it was oh, actually kind of a big deal what she did because she was working was. for a larger company. I'm sure she was getting health insurance, retirement. I'm sure she had worked her way up to a pretty decent salary. And she had to quit to go work for Keeley. And the only thing she knew about Keeley was... She has someone cutting checks. Geely's not established. Mm-hmm. KPMG is a separate entity because I imagine it, what it was before was a part of the larger apparatus of this this company. Venture capital. Yeah. And she's not established anything like fringe benefits or what Barbara's position will be, what her salary will be. Nothing. So talk about a leap of faith from Barbara. Shout out.
1: I mean, hell Barbara Barbour went even sit on the scene. She presumably didn't even know that Rebecca had given them funding to reestablish Keeley's business. She just came I, back. She's yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, it, I, I'd be prepared to be upset. I assumed some of that had happened off camera that she wouldn't just show back <sighs> up without any sort of knowing that that Keeley had money. But he, nonetheless, it's it, it, no matter how you, you slice this, it was a big deal and a big show of faith in Keeley's leadership.
1: Hundred percent. Uh, Roy has arrived uh and he's briefly confused with being a plumber despite the fact that Barbara didn't either hire a plumber nor need pipe work or anything along those lines Roy clarifies that confusing spill of conversation to say that he's here to get Keeley's help with Jamie
0: It's a particularly enjoyable joke for me because i uh I do a job in my not not a podcast but my real job <laughs> that is it. It, it, when people at a party, like, what do you do? It takes me, like, four minutes to explain it. And increasingly, people in my family have just started calling me a painter because they just don't want to deal with an explanation <laughs> of what I do. They don't want to have to think about it so they just call me a painter. So when they they just casually assume Roy was a plumber, I was like, ah, oh, that's That's wonderful.
1: Roy works through it, explains that Jamie is all fucked, all in, the fucked head. in the head. He tried to do it himself, but it's all emotional shit that Keely is good at. So... Also you look nice uh so so really trying to get Keely back right it's interesting we kind of assumed last episode they were but this episode is emphasizing that no not they yet are, it
0: hasn't yet happened really like because they start to have that conversation in Jamie's bedroom my, my point here and uh, I'll stop interrupting you is if he's trying to get her back deploying her to have long emotional talks with Jamie is that really what I want to do I would use I would view Jamie as my number one competitor in this race like I, i'm not it's, sure i'd be like yeah please go have long long emotional conversations with this guy that that would be it, wonderful
1: it's a different roy right now uh he's got he's come a long way there's none of that jealousy thing anymore also he does say that she looks nice which is just is that credible flirting on roy's part what is that true does she look what? nice I think, yeah I think she does look very nice don't you
0: oh, okay I, I just didn't notice i was just really yeah. focused on the dialogue. You,
1: asexually here just uh, yes to uh, to rely on me to tell him people look attractive Uh, i'm here for you man
0: i am zava i only see my wife (laughs) uh by the way you know zava's real the guy who plays zava his real life wife is in severance so there you go there's a connection
1: all the more reason i'm looking forward to that show here coming up (laughs) Uh, Keely, I think it's fair to say, looks legitimately flattered that Roy came to her to ask for advice on this point. She also seems like she appreciates that Roy says that, you know, she looks nice. Uh, Roy, noticing that Barbara looking on, takes the opportunity to say, well, you know, the both of you look nice. And in the process, Roy earns Barbara's loyalty and affection for life. Cause Barbara seems immediately flattered by this. She comments, oh, you know, like costs like two pounds, and just starts staring enamoredly at Roy for the rest of the scene.
0: I think we forget sometimes that Roy is a genuine celebrity.
1: Yes. He has that kind of, you know, aura about him, the extra persuasive power that being a celebrity brings. And also Barbara just appreciates a nice compliment. At May's pub, Dottie is having fun comparing the place to the only other point of reference she has, uh, an Irish bar in Topeka, which Ted just shuts down on the subject of her sharing about immediately. Again, Ted is not not good with his mom right now. Uh, him and Beard are apparently competing on the subject of pinball, which Ted over, Ted's over to take his turn. Uh, Beard returns to the table with Elton John lyrics, goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, I believe.
0: I think uh, there is only one Irish bar in Topeka, Kansas, called the Celtic Fox. That might be what she's talking it about. Yeah, I think that's might be what she's talking about. There's there's no other truly Irish-themed pubs other than the Celtic Fox.
1: How it look?
0: Uh, TripAdvisor, four out of five stars.
1: Yeah, depending on the area, that can be good or bad. Uh... Beard returns the table, Elton John lyrics, Dottie asks how Ted is doing. This is one of the things I talked about earlier, of where Beard originally answers on the subject of pinball. Dotty works their way through that. And they just have a discussion on the subject of, well, you know, he's Ted. He's still running around in circles, making sure everybody's okay without accepting a drop of help for himself. Yes, that is Ted. Also, pop kettle, Dottie. Let's discuss that later.
0: I often feel like people who... Maybe this explains you're your feeling partially your feelings about season. I feel like people who are in therapy who have actually done therapy. And so have done the work of talk therapy, appreciate mm-hmm. season three more than not, because I feel like the show read its own reviews and everybody was like, all oh, this show, like, is like, it makes me feel good about life, et cetera. So they have d- like dived even deeper into the psychology of like the particular characters and trying to have them yes. grow, etc. And the line like this, still running around making sure everybody's okay without accepting a drop of help for himself seems like maybe a throwaway line, but like, that's the type of thing a therapist would have you work on for six months or six years. I mean, like, I just feel like they, they are really catering to people who have an intense interest in this sort of like self-work and trying to, to better yourself psychologically.
1: No, I very much thought it was an important line. I think it's one of the lines that's been underlying pretty much all of season 2 and season 3 with respect to Ted's arc because those seasons have seemed much more interested in unpacking why Ted was the way he was in season 1 rather than just simply continuing it. And I think that's a key aspect of their perspective on it. Uh as to the problems of Ted's just constant ray of sunshine when it's not balanced with some internal you know some internal analysis. Uh it said Dotty you know Beard immediately turns the question on Dottie, who answers, Oh, you know, you don't worry about me. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, I don't, I don't want to put all my troubles on your list. It's like immediately just saying, Oh, okay. Hey, Ted number two, we're, we, we understand. She's that.
0: closed off and that's, that can be frustrating for people who don't operate in a, as closed off people, right?
1: Yes. Uh, May compliments, uh, Dottie compliments May based on her only point of comparison again, that one Irish bar in Topeka, which, I don't know whether that would be offensive or not to talk about an English pub for, but, you know, May rolls with it. I think,
0: uh, I think May realizes she didn't mean anything, by it. I'll no. take your word for it.
1: Uh, and uh, Dottie asks Beard about his love life, to which he responds, Had my heart ripped out of my chest, stomped into a pulp, and dragged through the town square for everyone to ridicule. Oh, sweetie, that's okay. You'll meet somebody. No, I'm in love. Beard, I don't always understand your and Jane's relationship. But I'm glad the two of you are happy. I'm glad for him. Cheryl. I think so. Your mom's a peach. Uh Yeah. Goes over to Ted, who is visibly not playing pinball for the sign that Ted is not okay, which May calls out. Realizing this, with Ted admitting that he basically just went over here to get away from his mom for a minute, May then proceeds to quote basically the – I think it's the entirety of This is the Verse by Philip Larkin. D- do, you, do you have the poem?
0: Uh, yeah, they, well, I have the, the words that she said, and then we can do the, maybe the full poem in sports Center top 10, but they, they fuck you up. Your mom and dad, they may not mean to, but they do. They fill you up with the faults they had and add some extra just for you, but they were fucked up in turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time were sloppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids for yourself.
1: This is the example of the poem of where I've heard it and had it repeated and liked it long before I knew what what its name was or who wrote it. So th- th- this is a, this is an oldie and a goldie for me.
0: I was the same way when she said, I did, I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I had to Google it. I, I couldn't yes. have uh, nailed it for you. But when she said they fuck you up, your mom and dad, they mean, it may not mean to, but they do. They fill you up with the faults they had, add some just for you. I've probably heard that 20 times in my life.
1: Oh yeah, it, it, it is a very common refrain It's a very common line that people bring out In terms of discussing, you know, their relationship with their parents And it, you know, it, it embodies a certain aspect of it quite well
0: This be the verse
1: uh, Ted is quite affected by the verse uh, But the moment is interrupted by the fan trio Revealing that they are now Facebook friends with his mom We'll see how well that works out
0: Didn't New York is a drummer in Coldplay?
1: <laughs> the stories, the stories, they continue
0: She does spin a yarn
1: uh, back at his flat, Ted goes through that, again, the usual back and forth in the subject of, Mom, you're going to use my bed. No, no. I will sleep on the floor if you don't accept my bed, Mom. She eventually agrees and offers
0: never Ted Never had that pro- problem with my mom. You offer, nope, never you offer my mom the comfy chair. She's sitting in the comfy chair. No problem.
1: Makes things so much easier and faster. Uh, Ted... Uh, one of the things that Dottie reveals, though, is that she had wanted to bring Ted all of the newspaper clippings that she's been keeping from back home. Ooh. She hands those from Ted, and very notedly, very pointedly, the top one on that pile that she hands to Ted is about his panic attacks while on the pitch.
0: Do you think she meant to hand it to him that way?
1: Yes, I think that's why she's actually here. She can't express that fact, but that's why she's here. She emphasizes, she try- she tries to dial into that a few times. Uh, but we'll get to those moments here in a bit. Uh, handsome panic attacks, uh, they him and hall on the subject for going to the Man City game tomorrow, uh, with Ted noting, I mean, you came all the way to England and you're not seeing a soccer match. It's kind of like going to Rome and not going to church or getting your pocket picked. So now I've been to Rome twice and not gotten my pocket picked. I guess I'm just lucky in that regard.
0: Yeah, you, uh, you kind of have a, you kind of have a, a very stern, resting face. You probably <laughs> People don't want to fucking scare you, people, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, you know, I may, may or may not have a knife to cut you with if you try something. Who can say? Uh, <laughs> she claims that she's tired. You know, she got, she had to deal with all those Australians having sex all me. the damn time. Not for you know, me. her. Not Uh, she also apparently gets nervous while watching his games. And so she's just going to stay put and, you know, encourage him while he goes and beats those Manchestrians. The
0: Manchurians. Uh,
1: apparently, as Ted points out, the actual thing they're called is Mancunians. I would have lost so much money on that subject.
0: I would have called him Manchurians.
1: Uh, man, yes, you would have. I, compl- I, I would have been there for you. Uh, apparently she's instead just gonna make him a nice home-cooked meal when he gets back home.
0: And, but- so, she, Dottie's got a little comfortable in London, because to do this, she's got, she, cause we've established that Ted didn't have a lot of shit in his apartment, she's gotta go she's out go she's shopping. She's gotta go grocery shopping, so. Yeah. Look at Ted, look at Dottie.
1: It's the joys of a credit cards, you don't have to worry about that exchange rate kind of shit anymore. Yeah, it not know. Uh, she, but they go to call it a night, though, and this is the scene I was talking about, before they can call it a night, I think this is just emphasizing why that was the top one on the newspaper clippings. She asks him, have you had any of your episodes? Doesn't call it panic attacks, person not comfortable with therapy or anything on those lines. She calls it episodes.
0: That's just such a little old southern lady thing to do. Yes, it is. So I'll say, are you, are, have you, how about the, uh, are you I having any more of those issues? And it's like, you, you know, you've been I, to rehab four times I, uh, or something, what, you know, what, <laughs> issues, what, what, you yeah,
1: issues, honey. One of my, one of my favorites is, have you been having more of them spells? The spells. Right. Yeah, you They're, could
0: be, you could be dying of terminal cancer. You still having them spells, honey?
1: Yes. <laughs> Ted just claims, no, actually he's been doing pretty well recently. In fact, um, been seeing a therapist his mom how does his mom respond to finding out that Ted's going to therapy
0: oh let me guess All my fault.
1: that she's playing off the joke I really hated that I know it's not a funny joke and I don't think it's a joke coming from her in that I wouldn't, no, I Ted wouldn't doesn't appreciate
0: it. it no I wouldn't have liked that at all I actually probably if my mom had said something like that I probably would have stopped her and said mom that mm-mm.
1: not again again If someone said something hurtful and you're you're talking about them, obviously you forgive them, but you're discussing the things that they did wrong. Uh, Yeah. isn't that great? (laughs) uh, No, uh, Ted said no, uh, no. But actually, it's you know, it's it's really helped. You know,
0: have you ever thought about talking with someone? Oh gosh, no. Oh gosh, no. By the way, that like. You know, people can react however they want, and 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 I understand that not everybody wants to to engage in therapy. I feel like everybody would benefit from it, but I feel like I understand a lot of it. not everybody's comfortable with it or want to or have the money to. Mm-hmm. But when people dismiss it like this, I do. I get pretty prickly. I mean, that's like to me, that's like if you, it's so because like your mental health to me is so fundamental to your well being. It'd be like somebody saying. Like, hey, have you had your, your blood, your, your blood labs run in like the last five (laughs) years and somebody goes, oh gosh, no, not for me. It's that silly in my mind.
1: How much do I frustrate you with neither going to a doctor or therapy?
0: You've actually been really good for me because I, I've had to go through the exercise of I don't control other people. Like I can't, Mm. I, I literally can't convince you to like, have a different cup of coffee at a coffee shop than one, <laughs> one you want. Like, they, so I, I just have to go hands off. Like, you're not going to do it. But, like, I feel like therapy is so fundamental to people's well-being that, like, when people dismiss it this way, I'm, I am I, 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 waffle between I feel bad for them because I feel like maybe they're ignorant, they don't understand how much this could help them, or really frustrated that they're still bucketizing this as some sort of, like, optional thing. Stigmatize that only like it. The rich, like goofy like self-centered liberals would do like the kind of how Mm -hmm. it was thought of in like the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I don't like this.
1: It's clearly her perspective on it because as you said, she dismisses it as someone just said a dirty joke in her presence. (laughs) That's
0: exactly what she does. That's a good call. Uh,
1: She also (laughs) emphasizes that I feel like this is just offering up so many theories for your tea time with Lee. Uh, She says, that is not my cup of tea and you know how much I love my tea. I bet she's
0: had some yappin' tea. I,
1: I I bet Ted maybe not. Ted's dislike of tea may be driven by more than its flavor.
0: So much backstory, such a
1: rich story. Yeah, th- again, I'm, I am here for this stuff. This episode. Uh Next day, Rebecca is riding with the team because of the goddamn environment. Uh Jamie's <laughs> no, no, nothing. You're gonna throw in to help me with that one. No, just gonna let that hang. Okay, fine. <laughs> Uh Jamie is still visibly
0: I enjoyed it. It's like a like like Greta. Like Greta has gotten on her case about the private jets.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh Jamie is still visibly not in typical form, which is notable because Jamie at his most prick back in season one was still really good with Ted's kid and the fans. Always Jamie's always kids. good with the fans. He's non-functional in this moment. He literally just kind of like puts his head against somebody's hand as they're going past kind of thing. Can't even summon the energy for a high five right now. Keely notes that immediately and says that she'll talk to him in emergency fashion. The team rallies around the very well dressed Kevin Ken and head out for the four hour drive north, which I googled because Bridget was continually curious on that subject.
0: Something While I really like going. about something I really like about the concept of I've not visited England, but what the, the, mm. I like about you going, should. it's lovely. Yeah, I, I want to. I like the concept that you can just rent a car and pretty much get everywhere on the island in like half a day. I really, yeah. I really like that.
1: It, it, it would be a trip to get to like the far north of Scotland, but getting around England, it, you know, it, it's like driving around North Carolina, man.
0: Yeah, but like when you say like it'd be a trip, like it'd be like what, eight hours, something like that, like seven hours. I mean, like it's, it's just not comparable to how the distances we have to drive to get places sure. in America.
1: Well, and it's the often fun debate you have with friends from Europe to come to visit, like, hey, you're visiting the US. What do you have planned to do? Oh, we're going to go to New York. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon. You're going to do what? Uh, <laughs> No, 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 that's like a two day drive, unless you're like driving straight through the day. Oh, really? Like, yes, the US is huge. Siberia, basically. (laughs) Uh, uh, at the taste of Athens, the Wonder Kid is kicking butt as a waiter,
0: only limited
1: by Derek taking pains to brag to every table that look at him! You know, started out as a kit man, rose up to be an assistant coach, then a head coach of a Premier league team, and now he's back to being my head waiter.
0: Well, you know, when you're jacked up on cocaine, it's very hard to be empathetic. He's straight doing a bump later in his office, right? Oh, it looks like a line, which is just a lot more of it. Yeah, he he he's, he's clearly got a drug issue. Uh
1: Nate is not very comfortable with this, particularly that, you know... Well, one thing I did like is that Nate, for the first time ever, openly admitted to someone else that he did use the phrase Wonder Kid. Character growth. Look at that. He's been denying it for the entirety of two, uh, the season now.
0: Yes, that's it. I said Wonder Kid. And the crowd erupts in the go, They in the go, go wild ex-
1: except the two people in front of him who are just really concerned that he uh, the issue was drugs. It's like, was it drugs? I did drugs. No, I- I'm here for you. No. W- what happened was very like no, no, no! I, just, I, I was with my girlfriend oh, again. Not there. It's like, uh, uh, I'll be back with your drinks. And now, there's even more convinced that it was drugs because now he's just hallucinating girlfriends.
0: The only pre- people doing drugs in this this place is the boss.
1: Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Actually, he had he had a straight tray for doing lines later. I thought he actually just, was just doing a bump, but no, he's, he's hitting even more than that. Uh, at Manchester, Keeley is going to check on Jamie given Roy's concerns. Jamie tries to claim that he's doing great, best ever, but it takes one opened suitcase to just already start to shatter him.
0: There's something so sad about a suitcase. It's like,
1: it's like like a drawer without a home. He says something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Keely tries to just get him to focus. Jamie, look, look at me, look at me. You got a lot going on right now. It's a lot going on. This is your first time back home since you left. The crowd's gonna hate you. And the person who's gonna be booing you the loudest is your own dad. Jamie hadn't even really thought about that, but like, no, 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 no. It's like, like, there's a lot of people. going could be shit talking you online, particularly about your hair. That gets some passion out of him for a second. His hair sacrosanct. It's like Roy and Roy and his hair. Just don't talk. Roy and his butt button back hair. Can't talk about that. Can't do it. Uh, Keely, just, no, 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 no. no just, you know, just think about it. If you guys win tomorrow, you'll have accomplished everything. You'll be on the precipice of achieving everything you ever dreamed of achieving. Jamie, who had not thought about all of that, now just goes into full-on lockdown and just collapses as mm-hmm. Keeley realizes that she did not have a clear plan or tact for this conversation. At the wa- at the team's watch party, Keeley arrives a little bit late, mid uh, very near the end of the team's watching of You Got Mail.
0: What a movie.
1: I- I'm with Ted, though. Sleep is in Seattle, better film. Interesting. Uh She notes to Roy that she actually made things worse. And so after the screening ends, with the team remarkably affected by this, by the Tom Hanks and, uh, um, Meg, is it Meg Ryan? Meg
0: Tom, Ryan, that's her.
1: Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. Uh, she and Roy follow Jamie out, who is pointedly just wandering off into the, into the darkness of Manchester, uh, to see where he's headed. So closely stalking him is to, in my mind, be intentionally comedic. That they are like, you know, 30 feet behind him. He can hear their footsteps kind of thing. As, you know, She's diligently moving behind each car as they go.
0: Yeah, I felt like what, uh might have been a little joke. They had the Sherlock Holmes joke earlier. might have been a little like detective whodunit joke about what, that genre.
1: Everything in Manchester is surreal. With, with the blue moon hanging over them, every scene we've ever gotten in the show of Manchester, there is an element of stylized reality that's attached to it. It's kind of one of their themes for the town, oddly enough.
0: Indeed, indeed.
1: Uh despite the fact that they are following him so close that he can probably fear their breath on the back of his neck, they are li- caught off guard when he springs a trap on them. <laughs> uh, they explain they just wanted to make sure he was okay and not off buying drugs. He offers a profound sigh and then leads them off into the town. They head off into what is, I would say, a poor and small row, uh, row house section of the city, uh, while some kids just start ripping into Jamie. Loyal Man City fans, they are. <laughs> Jamie, professional, takes that in stride. Screw you,
0: dickhead, prick. Kitty's gonna fuck you
1: up tomorrow. Uh, Jamie just nods, takes it in stride. Roy, though, takes the time to come over and compliment them on their attacks personally afterwards, which just makes their weak.
0: The best one, they, they're the one, just child one, who throws this one out. I smell your bum from here. That was solid. Good <laughs> that,
1: job. That one, that one made me laugh. Nice that was work, well done. kid. That's it, the kind of thing that gives, a, gives somebody doubts. <laughs>
0: It really does, but get in your head.
1: <laughs> uh, knocking on a very particular door, Jamie is greeted by Simon, a bubbly, friendly, very domestic and loyal man. Seemingly, everything that his dad wasn't growing up.
0: Just perfect that she would have swung to that type of partner after dealing with Jamie's father. Perfect.
1: Yes. Uh, he yells for Georgie, uh, Jamie's mum, that they've got visitors. And she charges down to practically leap into Jamie's arms over the moon that he is there.
0: All right. I want to to talk about this right here. Um, I knew as I watched this, I knew a couple things that would happen. One, I felt like I knew why this was the dynamic. But two, I knew that there would be people online who would be making fun of this and making like weird jokes about how over the top and how non-traditional this type of affectionate relationship is between Jamie and his mother. I will say this. Growing up in a household with an abusive father can tend, and and a mother who's not, Mm -hmm. if the father is abusive to the children and if to everyone in the ecosystem, right? A lot of times, the kid, the the kid, or in this case, Jamie and the mother would would get close in a way that maybe son and mom isn't always close in other healthier households. And so like mm-hmm. this seems remarkably consistent to me that if they were both being abused and mistreated, that they would have found solace in each other.
1: Yeah. I like the, it, 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 I think the episodes even trying to highlight that it is a different kind of relationship to the point that you, you see some people around them a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it, makes Roy and it makes
0: Roy uncomfortable, not Keely.
1: Yes. Uh, but it fits with some, you know, common tropes that play out in those kind of relationships. It, there is certainly an element of skinship attached to it. He actually referred, she actually referred to her son as sexy, which is something my, nom, my mom has never once used to refer to me. Thank God. Uh, but their relationship works in a way that, you know, people will judge, but has functioned for them and has clearly provided a certain measure of support.
0: I think it's uh, it was born out of necessity of two people who were being mistreated and abused uh, years ago. uh,
1: in fa- uh Georgie basically asks whether Simon will please distract Keely and Roy so she can hang out with her son. Uh, And They go off to check out Jamie's room. More on that in a minute. Uh, Meanwhile, Nate is going over all of the genius ideas he has for the restaurant. Again, man, have you ever heard about the idea of doing nuts and drinks? Just game-changing in terms of just restaurant drink sales. Um, Jade, though, is more focused on him just not being there like yesterday because she, from her perspective... She does find it weird that he's such a good waiter. Separate issue there, but it's more that she feels like he's not living up to what he she knows that he can accomplish. That he's dedicating also, all of his passion.
0: Sorry, mm. go ahead. You go ahead.
1: He's dedicating all of his passion to a replacement rather than what he actually wants to be doing, from her point of view.
0: She also just knows that how much he loves soccer because he's sitting yeah. there watching it you know he, like as much as he's trying to throw himself into this job he still is taking abnormally long breaks to sit and watch the tv because he likes soccer so much so it's, it's and, clear that he has a passion
1: and yet is still by far and away the best waiter in the restaurant according to uh derek Leiter.
0: well as much as i like jade and i do like jade she is a fair one of the top of my top favorite character list uh she doesn't seem to really give that much of a fuck about her job
1: <laughs> uh, again her, her. Do you remember, Did you know what her comment was to Isaac, Colin, and Will when they come when they arrive thirty minutes earlier before the restaurant opens?
0: Yeah. Well, can you uh wait? Not here.
1: Yeah, she's like she she the the most polite she can be was oddly enough with Rupert. Otherwise, she is existing in a constant state of being semi prickly with people with people that are in front of her.
0: I enjoy that Simon uses a Paul Hollywood recipe. Shout out Great British Bake Off.
1: Hmm. Well, well done. I, I would not have known that, but, you know, kudos, kudos, kudos to both the show and you for knowing that.
0: Uh, he says it. He says, oh, well, it's a, Ho- a Paul Hollywood recipe. I, I had no idea who that was. Oh, he's a, he's one of the uh, co-hosts on The Great British Bake Off. I
1: need to watch that show at some point. Every one of my friends says it's the best thing since
0: sliced You'll cake. probably find it inconsistent and a little too long. Uh,
1: again, multi-season arcs. I'm sure I will like the first season. Uh, Nate, you know, Nate is... Noting though that in response to this, things did not end well at Richmond and it was all my fault. Again, important concession. Look at this. He's growing. Um, but that, you know, he acknowledges her point and after the season, he will look for other coaching jobs, just not with Richmond. She does not seem assuaged by that particular commentary Mm -hmm. or concession on his part. She has an idea more on that, more of that in a bit. Uh, Jamie, pivoting the conversation from the subject of his hair and fan commentary on it to the subject of his dad, asks whether his mom has heard from him recently. She notes that she's not heard from him in ages. Seemingly, the dad only kind of tried to maintain some element of a relationship with Jamie, and I say relationship with giant air quotes. Uh Jamie notes that, you know, I thought I was finally rid of him, but I always did what I did because fuck him, you know? And now that I don't give a shit about him, it's like, then he makes a comparison to his mom about impotency in his soul on the subject of this. Again, they've got an interesting relationship. But it, it has a certain degree of resonance to it that so much of what was motivating him, so much of what was driving him was his resentment towards his father. And now that he's basically just written his father out of his life, it, there's just a void where that once was and he doesn't know what's really motivating
0: him. The expression that you have impotency in your soul while being sort of strange and Jamie-esque does work yeah i thought he was depressed like that sounds like depression to me like somebody who gets up in the morning and just can't like get up i mean yes pardon the pun can't can't get up as it were. can't get 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 up for the day can't find Mm -hmm. excitement joy and everyday activities uh that sounds like depression to me but it it turns out this this really it didn't seem like this was depression this was centered on a particular thing that he was facing a trauma he was gonna have to look in the face during the game but it did I, at this point, I still didn't know for sure exactly why I was upset. I mean, I, I recognized it had something to do with going back home, and seeing his dad, mom, mm-hmm. but I thought he might have just been like depressed writ large and they might be dealing with that as a multi-season or uh, multi-episode type thing, but it looks like they're not.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, in Jamie's bedroom, we get Whoa. two of just the best pictures. Uh, one is, what would you say this is Roy? Roy, Roy circa 1983 it's maybe the, or something? It's
0: the Roy that Trent Cram was putting on blast.
1: Yeah, it was it's it's rookie year, Roy. The hair and all of those curls, that incredible mustache. The, credit credit to the costuming department. You did well in terms of making Roy look like that.
0: And
1: and as you know, once uh, Simon goes back to check on his baked goods. A picture of uh, younger Keely. I, I'd actually forgotten that, that Keely is notably older than Jamie, so you know it fits that he he's still living in that room and I have a picture of her on his wall.
0: For some people, this was a little laugh, like a laughing, which is ah, that's funny. <clears throat> I think this is telling. Keely is Jamie's the love Crush. of his life. He is he has wanted this woman since he was like prepubescent, like going up through adolescence, as a teenager into his twenties. It's always been Keely. Like it's always he, because she. Just just always says, been Keely. And it's always been. She says we never take this one down, right? Like uh, it's like I I think that like his affection for Keely runs a lot deeper than maybe we we suspected in season one and two.
1: Hold hold on that because we're gonna have a conversation between her and Roy here in a second. Uh Georgie meanwhile because we're jumping back and forth explains to Jamie Jamie your father is who he is. He's never gonna change. But like it or not, the fact you have grown up as you are is proof that, you, you know, you, you, is you proving him wrong. I'd You're like, amazing.
0: Hmm? And he is never, ever, ever going to change. Yes. Never. My personal opinion, just just how I'm going to live my life, I'm mm-hmm. never going to assume this about someone. That they will never, ever change. Uh, that And, and it, that's, that becomes important with, with a, a shot we get later in the episode. This it, assumption that he won't change... I don't know about that.
1: She has an absolute right, though, to make that call for what she wants to spend time with and risk. She's dealt with enough of his shit for decades. She gets to call... Not Again, it's, it's the difference between forgiveness and not, still not wanting to spend time with someone. Yet she again, is firmly on, I don't need him in my life regardless of where he goes from here.
0: Yep, sometimes I choose my words carefully. I said me, how I live yes, my life. I
1: understand. I understand. Uh She expresses this, that, you know... She's so proud of him that when he went out there for England just a couple a couple weeks ago, she just straight up wept. That your dad, he's going to be in the stands tomorrow. He's going to be drunk off his ass. He's going to be rooting against you. And it doesn't matter for shit. That you don't have a thing to prove to him. You are incredible. And you're not lost. My sexy little baby, again, they have a unique relationship. You're just not sure which direction you're going in yet. Great sentiment there. Uh, up in the bedroom, though, Roy is revealing to Keeley that, you know, as much as they've been kind of throughout the episode just saying that they're just friends, they're just friends, which, again, I, I was a little bit caught off guard about because I thought they were going a different direction last episode, but it makes sense. That he doesn't want to just be friends, though. Keely misinterprets the shit out of that for a second until he clarifies he wants to be more than friends. We don't get to have this conversation fully played out, but from Keely, my interpretation, though, and at least in the moment, my girlfriend agreed, Keely looks and adopts the tone that she's about to turn him down. Yes. You you that's how you read it too? Yes. That's interesting. That may play into whole you know, some of your comments about Jamie earlier. Who knows? Maybe, um but that I, think I wonder, I think I wonder, I wonder if Roy Jamie. read that.
0: I think she's gonna pick Jamie. I actually do believe that at the end of this episode. The way that she, the way the actress I think had clearly gotten notes about how to act. The cheering for jamie Mm -hmm. she was we would expect her to cheer for jamie but she was tears in her eyes screaming for this man she may not pick him I, i don't know i'm just guessing at that but like but there is clearly a very deep affection that keely has for jamie now that could just bear out as i just care about this man i want him to be okay and that's where this emotion's coming from or it could be something deeper but i thought she was turning roy down here and then couple that with her reaction to Jamie's heroics later in the game, I was—I I walked away thinking it's very much in play.
1: I'm kind of with you. I wonder if I wonder if it's going to be a surprise for Roy when it comes because if in that moment yeah. with that tone with how we're looking at, I would have been just my heart falling in my chest if I was Roy because I would have read those tea leaves in a heartbeat.
0: Oh boy, you—you t- you know what I said? I said, What'd "Well, no, say? no, no, hold on." Then you misunderstood me. See, I got five girlfriends, and I'm not interested in you. <laughs> As soon as I get that tone, I'm <laughs> start saving face. John, John, just protecting with, myself. Just start lying. Armors <laughs> on. Yeah, I didn't even mean that. I was just kidding with you.
1: You actually thought that I was going to be <laughs> – oh, look at you.
0: Uh, uh, man, that's pathetic.
1: Uh Jamie interrupts, thank God, and it's time for them to head out. Uh Georgie, off again, wonderful mom that she has, offers, Hey, listen to me. I don't care if you lose by 10 goals tomorrow. I just want you to be happy. Okay, son? Express they love each other. Roy takes pains to also say goodbye and that he loves Jamie's very fit mom. I was kind of amused by that too. Turnbat's fair play with Jamie, with, Roy, with uh, Jamie commenting on Roy's sister. Yeah, he's
0: gonna hug her again until Keely stopped it. I, I also think it's important to note that Keeley did not seem to find Jamie's relationship with his mother that all that strange. And maybe he seen it, maybe she's seen them together before, I don't know. But she wasn't yeah, no, no. she wasn't like looking at them like, Oh, this is strange, same way Roy was. Fair point, fair point.
1: Uh, Roy's dragged away. Uh, he, 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 I don't think it's the only time you've ever heard. This way, among babe. the babe. This way, babe. It's among the few times you've ever heard Roy say, I love another person. He says it twice to Jamie's mom before he walks away. Oh,
0: love, love you, love you.
1: Uh, in the hotel room, Ted is listening to decade ago Keeley market the tourist opportunities in Manchester. I like this repeated little joke they have in the background of it, these episodes. It is funny, yeah. Uh, while going through his text messages, he gets a few, but one of the most important ones is from his mom, who expresses that you know she wishes and regrets that she wasn't there,
0: and that seems to piss him off. It does. Blue moon. The Man City fans He's only are singing. Alone.
1: I, I got to say, I like this theme song better than West Ham. I'm With sorry, West Ham. In my heart.
0: I, I would be I, so just, into it if I was a fan of this. I would sing this I, every single time. I,
1: I just. I, w- Thank you, Ted Lasso, for informing me that the theme songs for Premier League teams are just straight up crooners. I, I wouldn't have expected I it, but anyway. that.
0: I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, we'll need to go to Man City game at some point. I'm, I want to hear you belt out. I would
0: a hundred. Yeah, that's my go on a bucket list, just to go to one of these games. It, may, it could be Man City, it could be another one, but like one of them has these like strange crooner songs and like get into mm. it. I would love to do this.
1: Uh Man City fans are having a blast. Keeley, in what I feel like is a wonderful wink and a nudge to the audience, notes that, hey, it's a shame that Richmond doesn't have a theme song. It's like, writer, writers didn't buy the rights for that Didn't hit point previously, and they're now I'm trying to address it. Uh Higgins clarifies, they did, they did, at one point, when Freddie Mercury, Mercury briefly owned the team. What backstory
0: are we getting here right now? Strange.
1: Uh, Apparently, he tried to make Fat Bottom Girls the team anthem. I would have been so here for it. I would have been absolutely down for that. Didn't work out, apparently. Uh, They asked, you know, were a bunch of people offended? Higgins clarifies, just, you know, honestly, the Flat Bottom Girls, really. (laughs) Uh, To which, Rebecca notes that my father went to art school with Freddie Mercury. I mean, everyone always talks about his amazing four-octave vocal range, but my father always insisted that if you actually asked Freddie what his greatest talent was... He would have said flipping straights. And I started laughing. And my girlfriend looked confused as all J. She damn didn't know hell. what
0: flipping straights meant?
1: She turned to me and said, Was he really good at poker? Uh <laughs> No dear. No he wasn't. Like beat, beat, beat Oh, 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 oh. Yes, dear, well done. Flipping
0: straight then. Yes, exactly.
1: At Richmond, fans back home are watching and equally excited, arranging for their drink orders now. But now that Jamie's walking on the pitch, the Man City fans are no longer singing. They are offering a non-stop scream scorn at their former player who left them for reality television. The announcers note that Man City would clinch the title with a win. The loss would leave things open for who might be the Premier League champion come the end of next next week. As the game starts, an excellent play from Jamie, Bumbercatch, and Colin all working together. Scores an early goal to get Richmond ahead one yeah. nil. Look at me saying nil no, finally. Uh, everyone is cheering. Higgins has gone utterly rigid not to jinx it and maintains that the whole game. And I love the visual gag later. Rebecca grabs his face to help him watch because he physically can't move. Uh, Man City, though, best team in the Premier League that they tend to be. Uh, rally and abuse the crap out of Jamie on the pitch and hammer Van Dam in the goal, who is blocking up a storm throughout this game to keep Richmond ahead.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've watched enough football to know that when you get like a one, when you're, you have like a one goal lead and mm. you're just trying to run the clock out and it's just, it, it can be, it's just so. Tense. Oh my god, it's just nerve wracking. Every single shot you're living and dying on. Your team is is back in the defensive position. It seems like the ball stays past mid mid uh midfield the entire time. It's just fucking nerve wracking.
1: Uh, nearing the eighty minute mark, Richmond is still up. Helped by what we see in the moment is just an utterly brilliant save by Jamie, just diving into the goal and kicking the ball out over his head. It's a, a, an impressive achievement, but he appears to either—I I, I wasn't sure whether he twisted his ankle or landed it wrong or hyperextended his groin in some fashion associated with this. Looks like
0: he turned it, his ankle. Yeah, um,
1: he is hurt. He struggles the first to stand, rises, and then collapses a few feet later. And everyone realizes this is a serious deal. They call him out, practically on a stretcher, on a stretcher, I believe. And a replacement is called up. But in what of in my mind is a stupidly risky move by Ted. He elects to play a man down for the next seven minutes where they're already just struggling to keep shots away to give Jamie a chance to decide whether he wants to return or not. I think this is a misstep. I think this is just more Ted willing to risk it all for the sake of, you know, you know Jamie's personal development, which is not an out-of-character thing of Ted necessarily, but I feel like it would have been smarter to put another player in and just run down the clock. But ultimately works out okay for them. Uh, a wait-and-see approach with the damn game on the line. Van Damme's brilliant play, though, keeps them going despite every chance by Man City and every shot by Man City getting so close to going in. Um, Nate, who is watching is watching this whole game excitedly, like you said, very much engrossed, very much yelling out strategies to the players. But he, in this moment, is called into Derek's office, who clearly, sadly, decides to let Nate go, saying that it's nothing Nate's done. He's the top man. He hides his cocaine. After he hides his cocaine, puts away the trip, uh, says that you're on time, you don't steal, you're sober, you're my little unicorn. You're like, it breaks my heart utterly. But if I don't fire you like Jade told me to do, she says she's going to report me, and I can't tell you what she's going to report me for because then you know, but my hands are tied, you got to go. How do you feel about this? Like your partner does something that they think is necessary for you? But it's against your explicit wishes and, you know, it's arranging events behind your back like this. Does that rub you wrong or you just, you know, value that they have got your best,
0: your, your best interest at heart? Well, I'm fairly clear where you stand on it, the way you phrased ah. that question. Uh, I mean, I think that Nate working here was always a stopgap and I think that she's just, she sped things along a little bit. I wouldn't be offended by that. I, mean, I think, I don't think this isn't, this isn't like something that Nate has always wanted to do. Or something that is consistent with anything else she'd known about him. He's basically there just to spend time with Jade. And so for her to, to say, look, you can't, you, there's only, there's only so much of this, which is probably a representation of your self-pity that we're going to mm-hmm. allow here before you move on. I, I, I think it's fine, but it, please it, tell me why it sucks.
1: No, no, it, w- it would piss me off in the moment because, as you've as you emphasized, I hate when people try to make me do things, uh, which that is clearly what Jade is trying to do here, uh, when, particularly when I've said I don't want to do that thing. I'd calm down about it later and understand where her heart was at.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just I don't think – I mean, he, he's there just to spend time with Jade, and I think that her, her – man recog- genius restaurant plans, sir. You need to acknowledge this. Her recognizing that that this is a bad – I mean, I don't know. some Some level of, like – When you decide to start sharing a life with somebody, I mean, they're going to take an interest in what you're doing. And if they think you're fucking up, they, they, you know, they may, they may do some stuff. I don't know. I don't think this is that, that nuts. I mean, if, if he had been telling her, man, you know, if I, if I wasn't a soccer coach, I really would love to work there. If he'd been saying this for like two years or something. And and then she intervened. It'd be a lot different than just like, all right, this is where I just landed in my self pity. Eh, who cares?
1: Okay. Uh, everyone is pressuring Ted to make a damn decision on the subject while Van Dam still keeps them in the game. Let's go! So, so Ted
0: sits down with Jamie and has like a minute
1: and a half leisurely conversation.
0: How much did you like about the fact we got a, I mean we got a lot of soccer in this episode. I, I liked that we got a lot
1: of soccer. I was just a little bit put off that they're, that they're having a minute and a half conversation while the game is occurring right here. Uh, but it's an effective character beat, if nothing else. Even if it's a little bit unrealistic for the soccer, but I think we get more soccer in this game than we've ever gotten in Ted Lasso.
0: You probably don't like. Do you like a lot of like sports media, like sports movies, sports shows? I actually sure, I sure
1: really like sports because movies.
0: this is pretty. This is a pretty common trope where the coach is so interested the, in an. They usually
1: call time.
0: Okay. Well, they, they, where they're so interested in a particular character's. Um, Roll on the team and they want to continue to bolster that person's self-confidence that they are willing to risk the team for it. I mean, I think back that there was, we probably had some version of this scene five or six times in the television show Friday night lights where coach never watched where coach Taylor would be like, you know what? I know Saracen's thrown four fucking interceptions, but guess what? That's my guy. I'm sticking with him. And guess what? Saracen goes out the final minute. Those touchdown Dylan high school wins. It's pretty common in sports movies. So I, I don't know. I, I found it. Great for the story. I'd be shocked if this ever happened in real life.
1: Sure. And again, I think it works for the story, so I just kind of, I'll, I'll kind of wink and nudge at it. Uh, they discuss, you know, how Jamie's doing. Jamie notes primarily that he's freaked out that his dad isn't there. That he keeps him looking over his shoulder and expecting that his dad's going to be in the stands behind him, and the fact that he's not—that's what's really disturbing him. Ted notes that you know, it's similar to Freddy Krueger, because you know he's just going to pop up any second and stick a knife in your back. Um, but then focuses on the fact that you know, you know, Freddie Krueger had a rough childhood. You know, people that are hurt people, they hurt people. Jamie reveals a little bit though that you know he hasn't seen his dad since Wembley, and Wembley was when his dad, you know, straight up, his dad had that straight up physical altercation, right? Yep. Back in season two. Yep. Uh, haven't even talked since then.
0: That's exactly what they was. It was when he barges into the locker room and it's all yes. the same. Yeah.
1: Um. He notes that you know. What would you say to your dad if he just came in right now? And Jamie makes a very, you know, kind of interesting kind of statement of where he'd say, fuck you, and then I'd say thank you. And Ted Ham- focuses on that. Jamie, you know, if hating your dad isn't what motivating you to like it, what he used to, maybe you need something different. Maybe you should just forgive him. Jamie responds like, I would, I would immediately to that kind of statement. He's like, no, no, I'm not giving him that. But Ted hammers through that. It's like, no, it's not you giving him anything. When you forgive somebody, that's about giving something to yourself. Jamie, that resonates with Jamie a little bit. He stands up, he gets ready, uh, Ted says, oh, you know, you know, a good talk helps, right? Jamie notes also painkillers and adrenaline work wonders. <laughs> and they, uh, he heads out once they get a brief, a brief time back onto the pitch for one last play. Jamie charges in, mocking the crowd in proper prick fashion. Look at Jamie return. He's kind of back here. It, 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 we're, we're at the very end. Yeah, we're, we're, he is. He is back. He's uh, Van Damme is still blocking goals, getting them in position. Really, if you want to credit a single player with winning this game, it's Van Damme.
0: It's Van Damme me,
1: gets, gets them 100. percent of the across the line. Jamie, yeah, this is Jamie's opportunity to have a memory for himself more than winning the game. They would have won the game without Jamie here at this point, but it gets totally. him a moment.
0: Uh,
1: he charges down. He basically does a single solo charge down d- down the pitch. Mostly off camera for this moment, which I kind of wish we'd actually gotten the kick because we know the actor can you know play and kick. But from what we hear, he scores a spectacular solo goal. Everyone goes nuts. And immediately, like you said, I guess Friday Night Lifestyle, <clears night throat> style, which I need to watch at some point, now that he's accomplished that in-person moment, Ted then immediately subs him out for the last minute or two of the game.
0: Well, I think he also pulled him out because Ted, uh, and this happens a lot with sports coaches, they start to read the room and they go... The crowd's with this guy now. I need to pull him this out is so a good he, moment. Can, he, can, he can get a moment where the crowd can show their appreciation for him. Um, yeah. that happens was- a lot. I also, I, I think that the showing of Jamie instead of the kick was to your, you just made the point, which was yeah. this was about Jamie. This wasn't yes. about the goal or the game. This was about him de- like internalizing his own issues with his father, being able to work past them and go to his job.
1: This is a character moment more than a soccer moment. I think it lands very effectively in that regard, um, and it J, they they hold Jamie out. I uh, throw an additional reason too. They're also probably worried that he might be hurt. and They don't want him to play more anything anything more than necessary too, because that could have you know more lasting repercussions as well. Yeah. Um, so after he scores, exits,
0: we see some people in the or I don't know after he scores when they pull him out.
1: When they pull him out, the, the fan base start to cheer him. Fan they base start to salute to cheer. him. The Man City fans have gone over to his camp. He gets a wonderful moment. Everyone is affected. We cut to his mom, who's been freaking out the entire game watching him. She's straight up crying. And we also cut to what is either a hospital or a rehab center.
0: It's a rehab uh, center because they um, they show the when they show the television. There's a, a framed like uh, message, like, like words on a page. And this is very common at rehabilitation centers where they put they'll frame like specific sayings and words. And this one is "progress not perfection," and "progress not perfection" is a a catchphrase, a mantra in twelve step programs. Mm-hmm. So they they threw that in specifically to tell you that this is a rehab center because "progress not perfection" gives you the idea that like this is he's working in some sort of facility that that works a twelve step program. And, and you right. know, importantly, he seems over the moon keeping
1: Jamie's dad Jamie's dad
0: yeah seems over the moon happy for Jamie which is at odds with what we would have seen what we expected to see where in the previously the the dad had rooted for Man City against Jamie and so I think a sober version of the dad is able to like root for his son appreciate his son and that's what you know I don't know this guy clearly abused his ex-wife and for her to say I'm done with him she has every right to say that but this concept that people can't change—I mm-hmm. think the show's pushing back on that a little bit yeah. because we're seeing I, him trying to work on himself.
1: I, I think that's—I like that balance of where people can absolutely change. Forgiveness is about you. You should try to forgive people and acknowledge to what degree they can change. However, deciding whether someone's back in your life separate separate category. Well, and twelve step programs
0: the, preach that they say, "Look, you—you're going to work on yourself here. You're going to get sober. You're going to work on yourself, and you're going to do a number of things to try to make up for your past behavior." But some people are not going to choose to take you back, and that is totally okay. And and you can't let like that. That shouldn't be a hang up, right? Sure. And so she probably will take that tact, and that's totally cool. But I do like that this that we got just this little glimpse, and that's probably all we're going to see that this guy's trying.
1: Yeah, it's actually the one question I was going to ask you. Do you think that him and Janine will have any kind of reunion, or do you think this is a good enough point to exit on?
0: Yeah, I mean, expect- I think I think if his dad actually is doing the thing, then he'll get to the ninth step. And the ninth step and twelve step programs is where you make amends. It's the thing that you see on TV all the time, where you mm-hmm. know people show up hat in hand to say they're sorry. Like he, he'll get to that step and probably number one and number two on his list <laughs> for people to mm-hmm. go talk to will be his ex-wife and Jamie. And this version of Jamie, I have a hard time believing that if this guy really goes through that 12 step program and really approaches the amends, the way that he's supposed to, that Jamie wouldn't, um, wouldn't meet that with some level of kindness.
1: No, I mean, Jamie straight up texting him by the end of the episode. So could this really is a could. moment. This is a moment that was so effective. I don't necessarily need that scene. I thought this was a very effective scene. It resonated. I liked it quite a bit. It affected me almost more than the end of the scene in the episode of just seeing a brief little flash of Jamie's dad in rehab looking fondly at his son. And also just watching Jamie process just in a void his relationship with his father. I don't necessarily need the culmination of them coming back together. This landed very well for me in that regard.
0: Well, and if they're doing it right, they won't show you them coming back together because it'll take years. Like this guy won't get to the ninth step for a long time, like in his, in his rehabilitation program. And like even then it'll probably take Jamie a long time to accept it. These things, these things don't happen overnight because he didn't like the, you know, the saying is always like, you know, you didn't burn down the house overnight. So you can't rebuild it overnight. Like he, he destroyed that relationship with Jamie over a period of years. Mm It's going to take him a long time to rebuild it.
1: One of the things I also like too—it's also just a little bit too—we do get a cut of his two of the dad's friends in the stands. Yeah, and they are happy for Jamie, and they salute their friend, yeah. almost saluting him like he's just dead in that moment because we don't know. We don't. Cut I thought he was dead
0: re- too when they said that, and then they cut so, him. He
1: he would have loved to see this. It's like that was a nice little touch too—that even if his friends aren't walking the same life, they're still supporting both of them.
0: Well, it's also like the like, and they, I don't know if they meant this or not, but when Jamie's like texting his dad, I'm sure his dad didn't text back because you can't you can't like. Most 3M centers, you're not, you can't just have your cell phone. So yes. his dad probably is going to text him back in like 28 days. And Jamie's going to be like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I thought you were dead. No, no. we got a story to talk about. Yeah, can I meet, can I meet you? We'll have a deeper conversation in two years.
1: Yes. Uh Jamie, yeah, subbed out, cheering. The game is won by Richmond. Ted goes to Ooh. shake hands with the real Man City coach, which I like. The, I like, the guy I like got that, too. Cameo and then
0: I like that Ted and, and Beard are like, oh. oh.
1: I, I also love they had the Man City coach repeat Ted's wisdom right back at Ted. Yeah. It's like, it's like lovely, nice, n- nice little touch and end joke right there. Team heads off to celebrate. One, one, one drink, one glass of water. Wonderful balance achieved by that. Jamie's left behind. Yet another to example
0: Ted. of Isaac intruding in their life and trying to control their behavior in a so way acceptable. that is not appropriate for a team captain.
1: Yeah, again, you know me. I would be looking Isaac right in the eye, drinking two drinks at the same time with my middle finger up while I'm doing so. But that's just me. Uh, Jamie left behind to text his dad. Beard invites Ted out for karaoke. Uh, but Ted is already committed to dinner with his mom. Before Beard can leave, though, Ted takes the time to show him the rest of the Nate video that neither apparently Beard nor certainly us had ever seen earlier before in the season. In this video, the key emphasis here is... We starting with Nate ripping up the sign, the unforgivable act... I feel like it's more of a culmination of a series of acts before then, but it's the symbolic unforgivable act rejecting what the team stands for and rejecting, you know, the concept by which is motivated them all. But immediately upon doing such, he has to hide. Because the team comes back, they just won the game, he's hiding under Ted's desk. Team leaves. Then the cleaning crew comes in. He can't even show them his (laughs) vulnerabilities. He has to hide under the desk for them. Then the cleaning crew leave, and they have to lock things up, and so he's locked in the office and can't leave then, so he has to dive out the window. It's meant to be pathetic. It's meant to just show a person that is more broken and weak than they are a villain to be reviled.
0: Which I got to tr- give Beard credit. Beard gets two things real quick. He when he sees the the end of the video, he gets exactly what you're talking about. He gets no, this isn't some big bad villain. This is a broken man who needs yes. who, who needs help. He gets that right away. And he also gets, which you're about to get to in the recap, that Ted is pulling out a card. He's got a card in his hand that he's not played in a long time, and he's yes. playing it right now.
1: Very much so, yes. And we will get to Les Mis comparisons here in a minute. Uh Beard just simply yells, fuck. Feeling compelled to do something. Maybe we'll find out in a second what that is. Uh, Keely and Roy go to keep Jamie company yeah! and dicing, dicing his foot. One of my favorite, all of them are back in their groove. The I just loved they're, it. They're, they're best friends. They're all back together. I like to join it. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an utter joy between some good friends hanging out. We'll see if that holds after next episode with certain relationship issues. I hope it does.
0: Because Skeely is going to probably pick a lane next episode. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Roy and, and Jamie can stay friends through that. I, I just – I really, really hope they can. Although that, that's, tar- that's hard. It's hard when one person shows – and even if it's Roy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, it'll be interesting to see what Jamie does with that. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do, but I hope they can stay friends.
1: Uh, Nate and Jade are discussing Derek firing him, which – Nate is not me. He took it much, he took it much better. There's no, there's none of the initial peeved, ruffled feathers associated with it. He's just sharing a joke with his girlfriend that he knows what she did.
0: I don't know. I personally, we, we are, this, this podcast is making it perfectly clear. We're very different people. I would have Mm. been, I'd have been touched by this, that she, that she cared, that she took the time, that she did this thing. Um, I don't know. I would have, I would have really been touched by it.
1: I would have been touched if she had that conversation with me and we worked at it together rather than her making the decision on my, on my own behalf for me. But I would have gotten it. It's just the initial ruffling of feathers that would have had to work through. Uh, as you said, we get that he has taken this. He needs to go back to Richmond pointedly. He needs to go back to Richmond to make things right. Not for his career, not for his own advancement, not for doing what he wants to do with his life. He wants to fix that, that which he, that, that which he made wrong. Starting with, A 60-page apology letter to Ted. I was mocking you earlier with respect to this. My joke about this is that the fact that it's 60 pages is meant to be like, you know, 40 days and 40 nights in the Bible. It's meant to just be long. We're not, he's not actually going to read this. Ted's not actually going to read it. It's going to be a very much a symbolic, you know. Well, it looks uh, like,
0: it looks like Jade's cutting it down. Did you see that? She picked up a pen. No, like she was going to no, do some, she was no. going to do some editing for him.
1: We're, we're going to get a very Jerry Maguire kind of moment. And I think that we, since we've even gotten Jerry Maguire references earlier in the season of where, you know, he goes in to start re- reading this 60 page letter and Ted just says, you know, you had me at hello. You don't even need to read it. My, my expectation for that's going to play out. Um but the, the fact that he's taken the pains to, taken the effort to put his words to a page we'll talk on sports top 10 some of the problems I've had with this plot line but I like that this is at least happening I would have ha- liked it to happen earlier but it we're getting the are getting the points that I needed for all the characters
0: you know and I also think we got to be realistic about what Nate did I mean Nate tore up a sign he quit a job and he took another job and he did leak Ted's medical information to the, he, the press. He also,
1: he also abused Will and was mean, was, was rude and a dick to a lot of the players and the coaching staff too. There was a general downward trend in temperament too associated with that.
0: He was, okay, yeah, he was a bit of a dick for a while. Like I I don't think this is, you need to be lashed to a cross just, for, I, um, I, I, saying you're I'm sorry, you. saying you're sorry, meaning it and coming back to do meaningful work on behalf of the team. To me, that seems like a reasonable mea culpa.
1: It, and I'm with you. We're, we're in a process. I'm going to, I'm going to go with my, my thought process with this because Rebecca did a lot more shit in season one, but I was much more willing to embrace the forgiveness scene associated with that that I've been struggling with this. And I'll be curious to discuss that with mm, you about what's going on with respect to that. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. what you think. We'll get there. <laughs> Nate's a lovely looking
0: man. I wouldn't, it's no, it's no distinction it's in not that regard. He's better looking through the seasons, I would say.
1: The gray's working well for him it now, I gotta to say. Well.
0: Yeah, some guys, man, the gray, the touch of gray really works for him.
1: <laughs> I am not one of those, yeah, but we'll either. see when it plays out in a few years. Uh Ted, though, um, well, they're discussing that, discussing the 60-page apology. I'm agreeing that Nate, Jade's ready to go straight editor right now and remove the entire 23-page conclusion in iambic pentameter. We'll get to that. Um, but there's a knock at the door. Beard is here. Beard Um, is here looking a bit like the Terminator in the moment. I
0: thought thought it was a reference to Freddy Krueger from earlier. Yes. I thought that's what they were doing there. Yeah, he does look like every bit the horror villain.
1: Uh, Nate reasonably believes that he's about to be murdered, but still goes out to greet his death willingly. And Beard goes into his story. Sir, would you mind taking us through his story? It's incredibly meaningful. It's incredibly powerful. And I'll be curious to hear your spin on it.
0: I'd love to. Yeah. So Beard gives his origination story with Teddy explains how him and Ted became friends. So they were both on the same college football team. I believe Ted was the kicker. He was the punter. They were both backups. So backup punter, backup kicker. It's, it's pretty uncommon for a kicker or punter to actually get hurt in college. So the backups normally stay backups. They normally don't play. Right. And so that's what he explains. He says, we had a lot of time together. We didn't play a lot, but we had a lot of time together after graduation beard, fell in with the wrong crowd, the wrong behavior, and he went to prison for a good long of time. He describes that later as saying he stole a loaf of meth, which is a really funny <laughs>, way to describe that.
1: Lame is comparison tuh- loaf of bread,
0: <laughs> loaf of meth. Very funny. Uh, but also if you ever, uh, do- Google meth and it actually it, it does denke- not come in <laughs> loaves. No, but it, it, there's a visual that is kind of funny. Uh, anyway, uh, And he gets out, and when he got out, his family wanted nothing to do with him. Which, I that that hits my heart hard because I big forgiveness guy. But his family wanted nothing to do with him. He didn't have anywhere to go. Ted took him in, gave him a couch, fed him, you know, took care of him for a little while. And how did how did uh, Ted respond? Ted responded by stealing his car. And this is something this beard responded. Beard, yeah, beard responded this way. And this this type of recidivism is like pretty common, where you know people get out and. Because they get out of prison and they don't have anything and they're, they're, you wiped their pride, right? They don't have a job. They don't have money to their name. They don't have a car. They don't have this, that, the other. They start stealing things to try to get ahead. And it's this terrible cycle. He looks like he was in that cycle, but Ted raced out, um, of the house, met the police who had caught him in the stolen car to to explain to the police that he had actually given Beard the car, helping Beard not get in trouble for this. And making sure that Beard did not go back to prison. So this is their their story, their origination story. And I think what Ted was doing earlier when he was like, you know, man, I don't know about you, coach, but I hope that either all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moment, but rather by the strength we show when and if we're ever given a second chance. And when he gets that word second, that phrase second chance, Beard's head cocks up to this guy and he kind of grimaces because he knows Ted's playing that ace that he's got in his hand. And he's saying, hey, look. I did that. Look, remember what I did for you. We're going to give that same grace and we're going to give that same willingness to forgive to Nate. And that's exactly what he does. And he says in that same vein, I forgive you. I Mm -hmm. forgive you. And I offer you a job. The life part, (laughs) the life part is up to you.
1: And I, I, I very (laughs) much liked this scene. I thought it was very well acted by Mr. Hunt. I thought it was very well, it it, it it explained things that have always been there in effective way with respect to his, his relationship with Ted. And I like the point where it's coming from, but forgiveness is a profound and meaningful thing. But giving second chances is a profound and meaningful thing. And to what degree your own background can inform that and drive that all the more meaningful for all involved. The scene lands for me well.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think people who have who've had massive fuck-ups in their life and have been forgiven, sometimes those people are much more apt to forgive people later. And I, I like that Beard has fallen into that vein. little nudging from Ted. He got nudged you, from Ted a little bit, but I like that he's you, doing it.
1: And it's one thing I want to ask but Do you think Ted is straight up playing a card, or do you think this is just a slight nudge? Like, hey, don't these don't these stories resonate a little bit? <laughs> or you think he's actually saying dude you need to do this right
0: now i mean he's saying dude you need to do this like in the same way that like when we're covering succession and they're talking about some sort of like very overtly political thing you're like yeah i don't know it could be possibly maybe so like that's that's ted that's that's ted's personality right he's not ever going to actually say beard i beard i did this and therefore you must that's not ted's personality he's ever going to do that to the extent that ted is going to ever play that card he's played it here and i think that beard knows him well enough to know that when ted makes that point he knows exactly what Ted means what he's hearkening back to and what he hopes beard will do and beard willing to do it shout out to beard I uh, loved okay. everything about the scene there was multiple multiple cry moments in my household mm-hmm. uh, definitely Jamie being pulled from the from the game into Man city crowd cheering him was mm-hmm. a huge one but this was probably even bigger this 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 monologue from beard that uh, was it was really touching to, to me anyway
1: and what, it was. Now, one thing I did want to emphasize that I agree with you, that Ted is being indirectly direct in a way that Ted does. Yeah. He's not, he's not saying the thing. Now let's watch Ted say the thing, because this is...
0: Now, one yeah, would almost
1: gonna... say out-of-character Ted, but it works in character just because of how out of, out-of-character out of it is.
0: Yeah, he does actually do it with his mom.
1: Uh, they return home. His mom's baking dinner. She's excited to see him. They go through some polite pre- pleasantries, whatever else, for a second. Ted cuts to the heart of, Mom, why the hell are you here? She just, you know, hymns and haws around it. Just, you know, I just, you know, I wanted to spend my last night in London with my son. Make sure everything's all right. She's been hitting that one like four times as indirectly as she can on that Make subject. sure
0: everything is just all right.
1: Uh Ted, you know, thanks her for cooking dinner. You know, appreciate that she's here. And also, Meat fuck you for not misogna. wanting to talk.
0: Meatloaf yeah. and you, by the way.
1: A combination that doesn't really work for me, I must say. But, you know. They could be good on their own. Either or. Uh, he, but then, you know, something we'd never have heard out of Ted before. He says, "And fuck you for not wanting to talk." Whoa, she's caught off guard. <laughs> he dub, he does this kind of thing again. Thank you for flying all the way out here to come see me, and fuck you for not telling me that you were coming. Whoa, thank you for all the small, silly little things you did from a kid. You know, like hiding notes in my lunchbox and uh, putting googly eyes in the fruit at the supermarket. Just to make me laugh. And fuck you for not working on yourself or seeking help after we lost Dad, and for not talking to me about it and just glossing over the entire thing and acting like everything was all right. This is Ted also attacking an aspect of himself here, and to a degree, putting putting a certain maybe even a certain element of blame on his mom for the fact that he is this way in terms of how he processes you know pain or difficulty or anything else internally that's going on. He's laying into her pretty hard on this subject, though. She says, "I'm sorry." She, yeah, all she could say is that I'm sorry. She clearly caught off guard by this. She didn't know what to do, so she pretended that everything was okay. I
0: feel like that's a really powerful admission from her. I didn't yes. know what to do, Ted. My husband had died. I was left with this young boy. I didn't know what to do. So the only thing I knew to do was to pretend I was okay, which is absolutely a relatable, understandable position from her. I'm glad she. I'm glad she revealed that to him.
1: No, it's powerful though because I almost feel like. This this is very belated, but this is one of the first times that Ted's seeing his mom as something other than just a mom. That this is also just a person here yeah, that was confronted she, with an impossible thing and did the best she could. She
0: lost, yeah, it wasn't just mom, mom who is dealing with some trauma that happened to me, her son. It's a lady who lost her husband.
1: Yes. Uh, Ted just accepts her apology, says, you know, fuck you, but then also says, fuck you for making me think I had to pretend to, which is Ted has been spending two two, two and a half-ish seasons coming to terms with that one right now. Yeah. She then, though, lays on a haymaker of where, you know, I appreciate you sharing with me. I wish that you hadn't carried around for so long. But, Ted, I do have something to say to you. Mm -hmm. Your son misses you. And if there's anything else that she could have said in this moment that would break Ted, I don't think there's one that could have been more effective. Because Ted shoulders that one like a boulder coming down a cliff. He acknowledges that, you know, I get it. I miss him too. But like you said earlier, he's scared sometimes to get close to that little boy.
0: Oh, honey, why? You, you,
1: you, you explained that one for us. you. You said it, you said it very well earlier.
0: Yeah. He said, I think Ted is saying he's scared to get close to his son to get his, you know, that him being in England, Doing this, we've always thought was a reaction to Michelle leaving him. It was Michelle leaves him and he needs to get far away from her, far away from that entire thing. So he runs away to England to basically start a new existence, right? But what we're learning is that him staying there is in part due to the fact that he's scared to get really close to his son because he believes that one day his son will leave. And leave there, I don't think there's one particular path he's thinking. I think he's what he thinks is someday he's either going to Worst case scenario, like die before me, or mm-hmm. he's just going to grow up and be less interested in me and move on. And I can't deal with that sort of, sort of separation, that pain, all harkening back to when his father, quote, left him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's, man, I love that they went that route, that, that he actually admitted this instead of just saying, I know that, I know that I'm coming home. He yeah. says, I know that, I know that, but I, I, you know, there's part of me that's, that's, it's difficult to get very close to him because I'm worried about abandonment.
1: Yeah, I, I like this one. I saw some people online trying to say this was a bit of a swerve that you know, we, this, this hadn't been set up earlier. I kind of actually disagree though. I think this has been, this has been lingering and lurking for a very long time in terms of Ted's psychology and his perspective on his son, particularly this season. They've been emphasizing the point of, yeah, I want to be with my son. Why aren't I going home? And this is Ted voicing that hey, maybe it isn't just issues with Michelle that's also involving why I'm over here and why there's a certain degree of, you know, distance occurring here that's not just physical between me and my son. Yep. that's a That feels more like we're unlocking information that's always been buried rather than that it's, it's being written, at the, written in at the last moment. hmm So it worked for me. She reassures him that, you know, the thing about being a good parent is that sometimes you lose and sometimes you win, but most of the time you just tie, and all we can do is keep playing.
0: That seems like a big truth bomb.
1: It affects Ted quite a bit, I think. They're able to hug. They're able to say thank you. Also, still fuck you. They're going to be saying fuck you to each other and laugh at each other for years now to come. This has now become a, a touchstone of their relationship of where, hey, mom, fuck you, and they're going to laugh together.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good.
1: Uh, they you know discuss the game. They discuss dinner. They discuss whether this is going to come up with the therapist later. Damn well it better. Ted the, uh,
0: says, "Wait till she hears about this." So he's admitting yeah. he'll tell her. Yeah,
1: a, a bridge has been crossed in their relationship. Next day, though, Rebecca is there for their annual meeting, and I've completely actually forgotten about this. Is that they do each once each season? They have a meeting in this damn room of where she she bears her soul to Ted and reveals second, a secret.
0: Second to last episode,
1: for, first episode was a uh, first season was. Revealing to Ted that she, uh, Ted, I've been an almighty bitch or something, and she reveals that she's been the ultimate villain behind the scenes of the entire show. Yeah, she actually has, hired
0: him to try to sabotage Richmond.
1: It my, Possibly my favorite scene the entire first season is her admitting to that, asking for forgiveness and not expecting it, and Ted offering it to her. I'm My heart is not stone. I do actually love the sense of forgiveness on this show. In the first season. Uh, uh and it's so also second season in jamie too i think jamie that was the other one i was gonna emphasize later is that jamie i thought thought's one of the most very effective arcs of forgiveness and people processing and dealing with him in that regard too nate has the nate has like the a to f to z i'm just complaining about there the, the, i felt like there should have been more stuff in the middle between the a the f and the z in terms of reaching those points we'll talk about that more um but she actually reveals that she has nothing really to say Everything's kind of going well. Okay. They have a, all right, let's talk about that. What this nothing re- at all to discuss. Let's Just talk like about what this really everything is. Everything is fine. This is what? this is
0: a shot at the Mies of the world. They set them up, they had them a, a shot of the two of them staring at each other, looking at each other. They shoot to Rebecca. Yeah. She has this expectant look.
1: This yes. thing
0: like she's gonna say something. Yeah. And then she says, I got nothing. And yep. that is the writer saying to me directly per- talking. They're, oh. they're talking to Lee, and they're saying, "This they're will never. This will never happen. This is not going to happen. We know you want it to, so we're fucking with you a little bit, but it's not going to happen. Jed Rebecca is, will never happen.
1: This show has never been above fucking with us, and this does feel like kind of the last gesture in that regard. About, yeah. hey, this would be the opportunity. This would be the chance for her to say how she feels." And to set up some kind of relationship tension drama going into the last episode on that topic they're of, not you know, doing it. That's not what their focus it's is. It's over. She has nothing to say. However, Ted does. Cuts it back. But before we, before we see it, the episode ends we'll have to find out next episode. He's going back home. He gave his letter of resignation. What that reveal was going yeah, to be. Yeah, he's going
0: to, we're going to cut the next episode. He's going to say I quit. Um, so yeah, he's, he's quitting. He's going back home and then we'll see what they do with the story.
1: Do you think he will quit before the last game, or will he play out the season?
0: He'll submit his resignation and say, I'll, I'll be done after this season. So she'll know going into the last game that he's leaving. I don't know if she'll release that publicly, but he will coach the last step, uh, game.
1: Will he announce to the team beforehand?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think it would be smart for him not to, but uh, knowing I, this show, he probably won't be able to keep that secret. Ted, Ted is consistent.
1: For, I, I don't mean this. I, <laughs> I'm going to say this weird, but just let me say it. Ted is always willing to do the effective thing for the individual and the effective thing emotionally rather than the quote-unquote smart thing so we saw in this episode so it'll be really curious to see how he chooses to play that in other i'm with you strategically don't tell him personally emotionally the relationship they built very different answer for ted i don't know we'll see but it, the episode is done i ask you sir because i didn't actually hear earlier where would you rank this episode? What, what, what were your end feelings on it? Was, was this one that resonated with you quite a bit? Would you rank this in the top half, top third, top
0: three of the season? Yeah, it would be top third of the season. I mean, I I, I am watching now like maybe 50% of the show for Jamie. Like, I mean, I, they, yeah, they can't. Yeah, everyone can't, is. They can't. And I, and I don't think this is something that's like long-term sustainable. They can't make the show... For the next three seasons, just moments of Jamie being a good guy. Cause eventually he's just a good guy and that stuff stops, yes. stops resonating, is reson, uh, resonating. But like, right now it's still working. Those are the moments that impact me the most and such a heavy emphasis on Jamie, his backstory, his relationship with his father, the reveal that his father is actually trying to get help, that his mom has found happiness, you know, through another guy and di- creating a different life. And then the whole interplay and interaction with Roy Keeley and Jamie, all of that worked for me really well. The Nate thing, look, I I I felt like I felt very strongly that Nate Redemption can't go through Jade, but I didn't. But I never required a ton. I didn't need him to like you know be whipped through the streets of for what he did like i mean I, I, a simple like i'm sorry and yes i'd like to come back and help richmond that's kind of enough for me if somebody means it so yeah like i i'm, I'm all on board with nate coming back I think the show the only the only complaint I have about it is the could same complaint I've had the last couple episodes where the show is straddling the line between goofy absurdist comedy and very intense serious one hour drama with fifty different plot lines going at one time and I don't know if it knows what it wants to be right now if it continues I suspect that the show is trending toward taking itself more ter- seriously and if it continues mm-hmm. in any sort of way I, I think I it'll probably can probably go in that direction. But look, man, there's still multiple cry moments. I care about the characters. It's all, it's all good. I'm enjoying the season.
1: Good stuff. Uh, Shall we go?
0: Shall we go into train wrecks, then? Train wreck of the episode. Who is train wreck this episode?
1: I don't know. There's no no one. I don't think anyone stays off the tracks this episode. If anything, people that we thought were all permanently off the (laughs) tracks have found a way to get back on them. Like who ends this episode bad?
0: I'm not sure anybody ends it bad, but during the course of the episode, I think Ted was a bit of a train wreck. Um, he was yeah, pretty yeah. openly weird and rude to his mom, and we didn't get a, a real understanding why he's disconnected from the team, as you've pointed out. Uh, I think I think Ted is maybe struggling more than any of these other characters. I think you could also early on say Jamie because he's struggling, but that's hard to, to be too uh, negative about considering he's dealing with all of this very justifiable emotions and trauma from his his childhood and his father i would say probably i'm gonna go i'm gonna go ted and give an honorable mention to beard for being such a stick in the mud about nate until finally ted has to play the ultimate trump card and and get him to to come around what about you i
1: think think that's fair i think ted is the best one because i think more so even than jamie more so even even the beard he's the one that's most on tilt and the most off i think the whole episode and he, he he rallies a little bit at the end, but I think it just further emphasizes that he's got one foot on a plane, really that you know his the ultimate resolution for his character truly getting back on the tracks is going back home. And until that really happens, we're 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 seeing still a bit of a train wreck in in motion here.
0: I think the last scene of the season will be a parallel to the first scene of the season, and it'll be Ted at the airport, except this time he really is leaving.
1: It will be, and do you think Beard will not? Beard will not be going with him. I suspect too, associated with this as
0: well. I think Beard will choose to work for Nate. That's just not, I, I, that could go either way, but I think that that we had that scene, the first scene of the season, where it, it, they did this little like misdirect that Ted might be leaving. I think the mm-hmm. last scene of the of the season will be Ted actually leaving at the airport. That's my my prediction.
1: And you're and you're betting Nate rather than Roy as head coach.
0: Nate will be the head coach. Yes.
1: I'm not sure on that point, but I'll be curious to see on that. Cause um, I don't think, the, I don't think the players were inviting him back, obviously, as head coach, cause they have no knowledge that Ted's looking to leave. And in terms of who steps into that role, that, that, I think Roy would obviously almost prefer that Nate step into that role, but I'll be curious to see where Nate's head's at, head is at with respect to it.
0: They'll make Nate the head coach because Ted will do this big epic handoff where he says, "This is my guy. He's my..." and then you'll 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 say, "I don't know. How, I don't know why the characters really believe this." And it's just, and I don't know if I like it. <laughs> don't put me in a box. I can already, you can't I can already, predict
1: what I'm gonna react. I can already
0: see how that's gonna play out because they'll make Nate the head coach, and you'll feel like that maybe isn't earned, or maybe there hasn't been enough mea culpa for the whole team to accept what? him as head coach. But I, I mean, hey. If they go Roy with Nate as, as assistant coach, I could see that. It's just a little hard for me to believe considering that like every game, it would be Nate who would be creating all of the tactics, all of the right. decisions, et cetera. Ted, Ted, that's how,
1: that's already how Ted runs the team as is.
0: Right. But that, that's, that, the whole point of the show is that that's abnormal.
1: <laughs> Man, what, 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 let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Part of the problem I've had with Nate's plotline is not, honestly not the data points. I like the forgiveness. I'd like the opportunity for, you know, for Nate to improve. I like the opportunity for him to come back and create a new future with respect to it. We, we expected that was always going to be a plot line this season. It's just they've done something weird with both his and, uh, um, storylines of where they exiled them from the other player, from the other characters. They were completely, they were completely around the world. They didn't have a chance to interact with them. They didn't have a chance to deal with the issues they had with respect to them or grow with respect to them or anything else with that. They were put on their own little islands. And I just feel like that was a mistake. Like, The forgiveness plots for Rebecca and for Jamie over the course of the last few seasons, I think they worked better because they were constantly interacting with the other people that they either had hurt or that they were trying to build new relationships with. And they never were put off in their own separate worlds for several episodes. That gave them an opportunity for me to grow with them, to reach those kind of points, to see the little beats of the relationship, to see the tensions, to see the difficulties, moment to moment, Rather than just feel like they were just kind of individual blips that were going back on that track, so I actually don't have any problem with the story as written or the, sto- the story beats. I just have a problem. I think is it just how it was presented, and that's still just it's something I'm more working through than I think is a problem with the show. Does yeah. that make any sense?
0: It does. Do you want to talk about the Sports Center Top Ten?
1: I do. You ready?
0: Sports Center Top Ten, where we discuss ten, not nine and eleven, not eight, not twelve things that were. Interesting about the episode, or we think deserve more discussion. Do you have a, your first one?
1: Tooting! Uh, Tooting is the district in South London. It's not a town, it's not even a borough. It's, it, it's kind of straddles the line between two different London boroughs, uh, Wandsworth and Merton. Uh, it's five miles, it's basically southeast, um, sorry, southwest of the central part of London, and what amused me is what Tooting actually comes from. Contrary to, I'm sure, I'm sure this disappointed, it has nothing to do with farting, nothing whatsoever. The name is actually uh it, the location is pre is pre-Saxon. There was actually even a Roman road that went there, going to Londinium. The name, though, is Anglo-Saxon. It likely refers to the role that it even played before their invasion. You know about the Anglo-Saxons. You've, you know you've, you've heard a lot about them at this big point. Big
0: expert over here. Big expert.
1: Well, this being one of the main south approaches to Londinium and London thereafter, this was most likely a watchtower, a watch, a, a lookout post, and so tota. And to combine that, the people of Tota basically means the people of the lookout post. And that eventually evolved into Tuding. Huh. The area was still pretty damn rural, even going through Victorian times and pretty much coming all, all the way up even to the 19, 1920s and 30s in the Edwardian period, before there was a large spurt of growth as London has now sprawled to encompass the entire part of Southeast England. Um, but before then, it was still pretty damn rural. Um, but it has been... Since then, growing continuously, the district now is about 16,000 people, which shows how tightly divided the districts of London are. And as we kind of see in in the various episodes with Nate and his family... It is known as being one of the British Asian capitals of all of London, the land of the curry mile due to the sheer concentration of South Asian restaurants in that area. And as a substantial population of Asian and Asian British and also black and black British. So a heavily, a heavily minority district of London.
0: Get me to the curry mile, please <laughs> taste my way through that walk, street.
1: Walk the curry mile.
0: <laughs> love to. All right. I'm going to talk about the thank you. Fuck you thing. So please. I'm convinced that there are writers in writer's rooms that of these shows that are wrestling fans and they give us little nudges that the most of the general public does not know these things are happening but wrestling fans know them. So uh, the, mm-hmm. a good example is in The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian uh, there's so many wrestling references in The Mandalorian. They actually mm-hmm. use a wrestling
1: moves yeah. and in
0: The Mandalorian. I don't know if this is a nod to it or not, but Jim Cornette who is a wrestling personality, promoter, he was a in in canon sort of in show uh manager of the midnight express at one point he also created his own wrestling outfit called smoky mountain wrestling in the 90s that was moderately successful before going to work for vince mcmahon in the wwe and actually becoming a writer behind the scenes and producer and also an uh, on-air personality for the wwe he has since um Started his own podcast, which is like really successful. Millions of people listen to it. And he is a wrestling historian. He is known as one of the foremost wrestling historians uh, out there. If you want to know about the pre-WWE days, territory days, he's the guy to go to. Well, there is a very famous story in wrestling circles where he, running Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was a small wrestling outfit in the Appalachian area, he had his best heel, the number one heel that was working for his program, This guy had long black hair and like Mm -hmm. long hair in like rural West Virginia or rural Tennessee in the 90s. Heel, right? So that was a big part of his
1: personality. Part of the image.
0: And one thing he did with WWE is he would share wrestlers. And he did this to try to, if he could share a wrestler with WWE, that was really great for him. Because WWE might send a guy down to him who has national presence, right? To help bolster his outfit. So he sends the heel to go work on Monday Night Raw. And the heel comes back completely shaved bald, and he goes, "What the hell happened to your hair?" And he goes, "Well, I don't. Well, you know, the folks at WWE, they they just wondered what I'd look like with no hair, so they asked me to, to shave it." So Jim Cornette gets on the phone to John Laurinaitis, who's the number one producer, Vince's right hand man, Vince McMahon's right hand man, and he goes, "Hey, next How'd time, you shave my heel. Next time you want to know what my, the my top heels hair would look like, you know, head would look like shaven." Why don't you just fucking imagine it? And if you, if you need to shave his head, at least give me a couple weeks in advance so that I can book a hair for hair match and I can shave him as part of the program. Okay. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye. And he hung up and thank you. Fuck you. Bye has become a very, very Son common fret, catch, catchphrase in wrestling. It's to the point that like AEW's top champion, MJF, he says it now. It's been said on air in WWE. If somebody's a big wrestling fan and you say thank you, fuck you, bye, they know exactly what you're talking about. And it is a, it's a big saying in that world. And hearing Ted go, thank you, fuck you, thank you, fuck you. I'm like, I just wonder, I just wonder if it's one wrestler, one wrestling fan in the room giving a slight nod to my main man, Jim Cornette. Shout out Jim Cornette.
1: I think you got enough evidence at this point. I think, I think you, I think we've had enough references, enough connections over the course of the show. There's a wrestling fan in the room at some point.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, if you ever want to make me giggle and you're leaving me a voicemail, uh, always just end it. Thank you, fuck you, bye.
1: <laughs> uh, Fat Bottom Girls. Uh, 19, 19- Girls. You make the rockin' world go round. It's a uh, 1978 song by Queen on their studio album Jazz. It was written by their guitarist, Brian May. Uh, and I ask you, sir, I'm curious of your view. What is, for you, the best Queen song?
0: Oh, gosh. I,
1: I, could, I could offer a couple, a couple of my favorites, if, if, you're, if you're thinking. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody, I feel, has to just go on the marker, whether it's your favorite or not, as just being one of the more artistic songs ever made, in terms of rock. Uh, don't, I wouldn't put it as my favorite, though, although I acknowledge it's brilliant. Fat Bottom Girls, probably top three. For me, though, one of my Probably my favorite Queen song is Somebody to Love. I will belt that one out happily whenever I hear it.
0: I think it's hard. I've always viewed Queen, and I know not everybody views them this way, but Mm -hmm. I view them, and I mean this in a positive, as one of the best stadium bands that I've ever heard. And so it's hard for me to go against Another One Bites the Dust
1: Oh, that, that works a crowd.
0: But if I if I had to pick something over another one, Bites of Dust it would have to be Bohemian Rhapsody. I almost feel like Bohemian Rhapsody exists outside the rest of their portfolio. It's just this strange entity that they created over it's, here. It, it's opera, yes. And then you have all their other music, but that one probably hits heights heights that none of their other songs do. But if I had to, I had to just pick one to put on t shirt, another one, Bites of Dust.
1: It, it is, it is very much, very much iconic. One I forgot about also, Under Pressure. I, it, that one's not as much a stadium song in the same way, because another one bites the dust, the crowd, you don't even, like, if you've you got a Queen in concert, down, they there reach a certain point of when they don't even need to do anything more other than just kind of dance on stage, because the crowd is singing it for them.
0: Another
1: one down, and another one down, and another one bites the dust. Alright, oh, what else
0: you got for us? Nightmare on Elm Street. 1984 American Supernatural Slash Film written and directed by Wes Craven. Check this out. This this thing had a budget, a Hollywood budget, so this Eight includes cents. all kinds of shit of one point one million dollars. It made it fifty-seven million in the box office at the time. Now it's probably made two hundred million in licensing oh, and sure, action yeah. figures and replays on television and this and this and this. But in the moment, it was really successful. See, that's kind of the difference. A lot of these slasher films have since gone on to create these franchises that have made tons of classics. money, but right at the time, they weren't necessarily huge. This one was huge in the moment. Mm-hmm. The film was credited with using many of the tropes found in the low budget horror films in the 1970s and eighties that originated with the John Carpenter directed Halloween. So a lot of people view this as a sort of logical follow on in the filmmaking world to Halloween. It spawned a franchise that I believe had eight movies associated with it and a television show. Still going on. And uh, little known fact here about this film, it was covered by the Mangum Talks crew over on we did. Mangum Watches, which is a podcast feed that we have called Mangum Watches. You can get it at www.mangumtalks.com. Spencer, myself, BJ, and Levi sat down and reviewed this film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and it was a lot of fun. Spoiler alert, Spencer actually liked this one.
1: Rare thing for me, truly. But Absolutely. yeah, original original *Nightmare on Elm Street* is a well deserved classic. It really, as you said, it's more of a distillation of tropes that were already forming. But it it, it, it is what a lot of people turn to for how well that executed them. Uh one for me. Uh, Should we talk about Pep 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 Guardiola, the actual uh, general manager of Man City?
0: Yeah, yeah, let's do it.
1: Uh, he is a Spanish professional football manager. He has co- he has been the manager of several. Um, Major uh, Spanish teams, including Barcelona, his old his old former team back uh, back in the day. He was a defensive midfielder when he played; was an excellent player and coach of the teams that he was on back back then. But what he's particularly famous for now is that he became the general manager of Man City in 2016, and has revealed himself to be an utter god since then. This is the period of where Man City then set the 18 game record back in 2018, and their List of titles since then is just impossible. They've had three consecutive Premier League titles under his banner. they've made it to the Champions League final for the first time ever. They've uh, had they were the first team in twenty eighteen again that when, the, when they, they set the record for most wins to I think well, I think they're the first and only team to ever retain a hundred points in a single season. That's how just utterly dominating they have been under him. He's built an incredible reputation as a result of that, and having been named FIFA World Coach of the Year going back Whoa. in the day. Coach of the Year? That was even back when he was working for Barcelona, I believe. That was, even, it, was even, it was even back in the past. He is proven utterly dominating and has driven Man City to be, as they've long had a reputation, but are certainly proving at the pre- in pre- present day, the best team in the Premier League, which I really love that the show gave him a nod as being a coach beyond compare because he has certainly proved it in recent years.
0: Yeah, that was good. I'm glad you did that one and not me because I didn't have as much as you did. You know, we often have the same ones on our list. And Mm -hmm. I'm always hoping the person who has done the most research actually gets to it first. I got this one. B.F. Skinner. Winner, winner. B.F. Skinner. Burris Friedrich Skinner was an American psychologist, behavioralist, and social philosopher. Here's the thing about this guy. He considered this concept of like free will. Like that you'll just do what you want. This is going to piss Spencer off. You might want to, hear, you know, like the Will Ferrell Will movies. Ear ear, on. Ear, he saw yep. it all as dependent on your consequences of previous actions. So that every, all all actions are informed by previous consequences and previous events. Right. Mm-hmm. And to test this, he created the operant conditioning chamber, also known as the Skinner box. And it was a little like box that he put mice in and then he would put some sort of stimuli and then um consequence stimuli and then like a, a dependent upon that consequence within the box so here's a primary example of something that bf skinner did he mm-hmm. would stick a mouse in a box and he would have a button and the but the but the mouse could press the button and if they pressed the button they get a little bit of cocaine now this is this is this is a famous experiment. Falling into two different things that happened in this episode, right? You had the restaurant manager doing cocaine. And you also have the Jamie's dad who is in, in in recovery. And what they decided from that is that. If given, because what they, what they, what they viewed, what
1: food, they watched,
0: cocaine. what they watched is that the mouse would press the button for cocaine above everything else, above water, above food, above anything else. And so they took that, the results of that experiment, which I think happened in like the 70s, and they informed drug policy in America from that, saying that like, Cocaine itself was the problem. Cocaine, the drug was the problem because cocaine is, to, to, if given the opportunity, these mice would pick cocaine over the food, over the water, over the etc.
1: What was the flaw in their experiment, sir?
0: Is that they gave the mouse no other things to fucking do. The mouse it was a mouse was, in a box. It's lit, Yeah, and so like B.F. Skinner, while he, you know, I'm sure there's people listening to know a lot more about him and this, this branch of science than I do, I think one of the things that he Really messed up is this, this Skinner box, because by putting the mouse in the box and giving it no other options, the mouse would choose the cocaine over water and food, and that informed drug policy in America. In, in America, then we started to think of the drug as the problem, as opposed to the, what the real problem was, which was borne out in later, uh, experiments, uh, which was issues. that there was nothing else for the mouse to do. And what that, what they figured out in later, and these, these actually came in the 2000s, experiments in the 2000s, is that if you give a mouse a button for cocaine, food, water, and then social interaction with other mices, uh, mouses, like uh, the ability to exercise, exercise wheels, et cetera, et cetera, stimuli, stimuli, healthy stimuli, the mouse would go to that. Which actually has informed in the recovery community this concept that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety or abstinence. The opposite of addiction is connection. It's the ability to connect with others and to live a full, fulfilling life. That is the thing that will stop the mouse from pressing the button. So there you go. PF Skinner, his his little Skinner box, how that relates to our restaurant manager doing cocaine and then Jamie's dad.
1: I, I really do love that a lot of those big famous experiments in the fifties you know, through the seventies that have massively informed not only just U.S. policy but also just our popular perceptions of certain topics. We're now going back and looking at them and saying eh, there were some methodog- methodological flaws here. We kind of need to discuss.
0: Well, this one was huge because we start we we believed, and a lot of America still believes that yes. that that cocaine is or, or heroin or whatever is it's so a, addictive. addictive. That anyone who uses it, anyone who touches it will be addicted. And that's right. why it's such a dangerous, dangerous thing. But in reality, what we've learned is that only about 10% of the general population is susceptible to addiction, regardless of what drugs they try. And that in order to help those folks, you got to get them out of the Skinner box. You got to get them, get them into society, get them integrated, living a full, healthy, fulfilling life.
1: Hey, as we heard a couple of weeks ago from Greg on succession, it's doing cocaine twice, two days in a row. That's the problem. That's what I gets you addicted. I don't,
0: some, he made me drink things that you don't normally drink. <laughs> uh
1: What, what, what uh, further just fact for me about Pep? It's kind of tied to Man City. I had no idea about this. Man City is the single highest revenue football club in the world. It's seven hundred and thirty-one million and just straight up revenue wow. they have coming in each year. Holy smokes! Yeah. Uh, that's tied to the fact that they're also, in the world, the sixth most valuable team in terms of just net value. It valued presently at over $4.2 billion.
0: Who's number one? The Yankees? I, I
1: actually, hold on. Uh, this is typically, uh, foot, uh, football clubs in terms oh, okay. of overall teams, I'll have to check. But for football clubs in 2022, it was Real Madrid in Spain at $5.1 bi- uh, billion. What would be the Yankees valued at? I'm sure we can Google that. It's pr- probably monstrous.
0: Five, right at five, five and a half billion.
1: So they're, they're competing with, with the, t- the top soccer clubs, too. Yeah.
0: And I, if the Yankees are five billion, that seems actually a little bit low. Um, the Phoenix Suns are recently sold for five billion. So I'm sure that the Lakers are up at seven, eight, nine billion. Um,
1: Look at the U.S. teams just it, representing. It's
0: all just spiking right now. Um, b- billionaires love owning teams. Man, do they love it. They really do love it. Uh, drives the price up. All right, that's all I got. I think we hit 10. That was wonderful. Here,
1: here for it. Uh sir, do we have any life lessons from Lee after this episode?
0: Absolutely. It's life lessons from Ted. But Ted is not as been delivered gi- by Lee. Ted's not been giving a lot of life lessons recently. So it's more yeah, it's certainly more more in my life lessons. I think that the one I take away from this and that I hope other people will take away from this is that we have because we are watching the show this wonderful snapshot into the past and the histories of these characters and the things that have informed the person that they are now. So we know that Jamie had an abusive father and that that has been the core of, you know, who he is and what he's had to work through on the show. They started that right out. Right. Right. Ted was dealing with Jamie's issues with his father right away in the show. And it is kind of comes full circle here when they go back to man city and he's worried about his father being there. And it creates this like sort of situational depression in him. But we know Jamie's history. So we know why he's feeling, or at least partly why he's feeling these things. Somebody who just met Jamie would see him hanging all over his mom and having that really touchy feely relationship with his mother Mm -hmm. and might think that's weird and might make really cutting, mean, harsh jokes about that relationship. That's on the table for, especially a lot of men would make that joke. Sure. I think the lesson here is you never know what people have dealt with in their past or what they're bringing to the table or what they're dealing with now that is informing the behavior that you're seeing. So while it's an easy joke to talk about Jamie being, you know, sort of too touchy with his mother, I think it's a, it's a joke you probably should leave on the table considering Jamie's history. And maybe that's the lesson in dealing with other people. If you see some behavior that to you appears abnormal, to you appears different, and your first reaction might be to tease it, make fun of it because it's not like me. It's something different. Maybe, maybe to the extent you can, nobody's perfect, maybe pump the brakes and realize, man, I really don't know why this person is that way. And there might be a really good reason that might not be worthy of teasing. That might might be a a reason that I I really shouldn't poke at here. And I think with Jamie, it's a great example of it. I, I, I just don't, I wouldn't personally feel comfortable poking Jamie about that, considering the fact he was probably physically and mentally abused by his father for years and years growing up. So there you go. That's what I got
1: instead you should do what roy does and hit on his mom that is the proper instead course of action to follow with respect to this kind of this kind of events and evidence in front of you
0: what if keely ends up single roy with jamie's mother and jamie with roy's sister
1: i would scream and glee
0: what a wonderful (laughs) holiday season that would be when they all get together to, to share presents huh? Phoebe would be happy <laughs> as a damn clam. I don't know. I'll I, I tell you this. The fans who have written in about the show, we, also, we this podcast in particular, we have fans of a lot of our podcasts, this podcast in particular has really, wouldn't shock you, Spencer, lovely, mm. positive, fun fans, Aww. right?
1: <laughs> and um, yet they're tuning and, in for me.
0: And they say that I've heard way more fans say that they wish that Keeley would end up single than with Simon. Yeah. I, People I mean, seem to really want that for her, that, that independence, and not, not, her happiness not being tied to a man.
1: Yeah, I, I think if she's able to just focus on her business, not feel that she's obliged to either of the main characters that she's been previously, met, you know, de- uh, flirting with or dealing with over the course of the series, this is an opportunity to grow and find her own stability. I think it'd be better for the character. I think that'd be a more, that that would be, she's talked about she's inspired by Rebecca, and I feel like that would be a Rebecca kind of end for her, that would be, the you know, count as a win. I would Rebecca, think, on the other hand, you're, she's fallen out entirely with uh, Ted, and I didn't discuss it. But she was making eyes with Sam over the course of this episode. Do you think that's in game for hers? They'll put her probably, back with Sam, probably. And, and how it. how would you feel about it?
0: Eh, I wouldn't love it for the reasons stated. But I mean, I think yeah. Sam is getting older. He's now what twenty four or something? They've they showed him as twenty four <laughs> on the show. Yep, he was yep, twenty. Yep. He was twenty one a year ago. Owner. He was twenty one a year ago. Now he's twenty four. So they're aging him up as fast as they possibly can. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I think they've they've shown us enough to show that they're much more interested in Sam Rebecca than they are Sam Ted. Or uh Rebecca Ted. Um
1: Hey, Sam Ted, that's a ship I've not seen before yet.
0: Yeah, uh, who knows? Still yeah, hope. Good work. Uh all right. Anything you are you really want to see or don't want to see in the finale before we sign off. Hmm. I
1: No, I, I... I'm very curious to see where this goes. I think we have, I think you and I are reasonably certain about our major plot points that we expect to resolve. I'll be curious to see how many they actually do try to resolve. I, I think what I hope for is that if indeed this is certainly Ted's last episode, regardless of whether they do spinoffs or do other things with respect to Ted in different environments, I'm hoping for a Ted focused episode. I want, I want an episode of where Ted is at max been getting like 10 minutes of screen time in a lot of these episodes lately. I want this to be Let's, let's, let's give Ted at least 30 minutes of focus on this if this is indeed his last rodeo.
0: Yeah. Um, I'd like to see Richmond win because you want I, them to be the champions. Yeah. Because I like the idea that long-term investment pays off in any business model. That, mm. you know, that, that's what Trent made the point for all of us very explicitly earlier in the season is that this, this shift toward total football has been a long-term strategy either purposely or not purposely by Ted. And I like to see that pay off and I'd, I'd love to see these, I'd love to get that moment where all these characters do win and that's a big, great moment for them and that would create a big payday for all of them because they could all go on to future contracts making a bunch more money. So it'd be great for everybody. I'd like to see that. Um, I'd like to see some sort of resolution for, for Jamie. If that includes Keely, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. And I want to see Nate back in the fold and I need to see or I will be Spencer level perturbed. Mm. I need to see. A calling of the Diamond Dogs with Nate included in the Diamond Dogs in the finale. That's the one thing I require. <laughs> Nate return, fresh pup to the group. It, back into the Diamond Dogs. That would, that would, do, my heart. That would do my heart good. I,
1: I don't expect, uh, that is an interesting call. I don't expect we'll get much more resolution with Jamie. I feel like this episode was his resolution. I think anything from here on after is just going to kind of be uh, him tying into other people's stories rather than his own.
0: Yeah, I, when I say resolution, I mean like, where, where does he go from here? Is he going to continue being the captain of Richmond? Is he going to go back to Man City? Uh, um, hey, Sam's the captain. Yeah, I'd like, uh, yeah, I don't well, know. I, I don't they, know where he's going to go, but the, we, we need to see Jamie, where Jamie goes. He's no, he's, he's like a top three important character at this point.
1: Fun, fun, it was fun little implication too. I forgot to mention this episode. They were actually kind of implying that Isaac is suspended, weren't they? Yeah. Cause we don't see him at once on the pitch. No, 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 no. Not-
0: no he, he is on the pitch. He kicks the ball to Jamie.
1: Oh, but didn't, didn't note that. So yeah. they, they, they were so minimizing influence of where it's Sam and Jamie, the two people that are debating head coaches in the interview. Yeah. And then we just see Jamie leading on the pitch.
0: This is, a, so, this is the players uh, protesting the sponsor situation. They left that last episode and they just moved right on because Isaac definitely kicks the ball to Jamie before he scores.
1: Pro- probably would have been suspended in real life
0: shows Pretty shows sure all of
1: other plot lines
0: <laughs> probably for the whole fucking season if not next yes. season yeah absolutely okay all right thanks everybody for listening we will be back with you next week to review the finale of season three and possibly the series finale or at least the series as we know it of ted lasso we can promise you two things though well three things one is that we'll be here with you next week to review the finale two kick. is that immediately after we finish this television this review of the season and the review of season four succession we are going to be reviewing Season 1 of Severance, and I promise you that will be a blast to watch Spencer deal with that every week and try to carve <laughs> out what just what <laughs> a high fuck is happening in that show. That is going Looking to be an awful lot of fun. And then the third thing we can promise is that if the show does continue on in some sort of way, right? If they, if they follow Ted back to Kansas, or if they stay with the team sans Ted in England, whatever the show decides to do, however they spin it off, we, we'll will, be here for we it. will be covering it here on The Lasso Lowdown. So... We will wait. We'll be doing that. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Mm-hmm. Hope you have a great week and we'll be back with you for the finale next week.